Blog Talk Radio. This is Celtics Talk Radio, your weekly C's audio magazine. Listen as we discuss the latest news for the Boston Celtics. You can call us at 347-857-3545. Now, here's your host, Daniel, Igor, and Kevin. Hey, what's up, Celtics fans? Welcome to another edition of Celtics Talk Radio. This is episode... 309, and we are here to talk about the Celtics' win over the Golden State Warriors. This win, of course, has many Celtics fans talking about the chances that the Boston Celtics could now be viewed as a team that could win the entire thing this year, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, you heard me right. The Celtics are now viewed as a team that could walk away as NBA champions this year. I don't think anybody was thinking about this earlier this season as the Celtics were pretty much viewed as a team that would likely be a member of the play-in tournament and was likely a first-round exit team, not only by yours truly, not only by some of the other members of my crew here in the Celtics Talk radio team, but many of Celtics Nation, many of the sports analysts that you see on ESPN, Fox Sports, and several other sports networks in this case. Yet the Celtics over the last two months have been on a tear in this case compared to many of the other teams. You can say the Celtics have been the top team in the NBA. Some people may say, okay, maybe not the top, maybe they did, but they've definitely been the best in the East for sure. And this has basically made the Celtics to a point where they are now fourth in the Eastern Conference, a full game and a half ahead of the Chicago Bulls, as the Celtics now are 43-28, and 28, just four games behind of the first-seeded Miami Heat, one game behind the Philadelphia 76ers for third, and just one and a half game behind the Milwaukee Bucks for second. And the Milwaukee Bucks are currently losing 58-52, the Minnesota Timberwolves in the second quarter. So, of course, if that score was to hold firm and basically the Milwaukee Bucks end up losing that game, then you will just be one game behind the Milwaukee Bucks for the second spot in the Eastern Conference. So, obviously, again, I will be joined today by the rest of my team, Igor Middich, Kevin Dixon, and we may have my fourth member, Andy uh, Vernon, with us. We will also be joined by... Special guest Warren Shaw of Shaw Sports NBA on on Twitter, of course, and host of the NBA Baseline. We will be discussing that win over the Golden State Warriors, as well as what is everybody's opinion. The whole situation has everybody again saying that it can be done, ladies and gentlemen. They can win the whole thing, but yet the counterpoint to that whole thing. You can win the whole thing, but it is unfair to basically hold the Celtics to those expectations. Is that fair, ladies and gentlemen? I want you to ask yourself that before I go to my first audio break. Is that fair to have that mindset, to basically say the Celtics can win the whole thing, but if you're willing to say they're championship contenders, you're willing to say it's unfair for fans to have the expectations, but 
say at the same time it's unfair to hold them to those expectations and basically be willing to criticize them if they don't win the whole thing. The Celtics, in my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, prove me wrong. I'm willing to say it. Fair is fair, fair, ladies and gentlemen. I'm somebody who's a fair man. They proved me wrong in this situation by being able to beat some of the best teams, if not the best teams, the last two months. You've beaten Philadelphia. You've beaten Milwaukee. You've beaten Brooklyn. You've beaten Miami. You've beaten Golden State. You've beaten pretty much every team you would have to get through in order to win an NBA championship. So why can't this team have any expectations put on their shoulder the rest of the way this season? So we will go to the first block of audio. I hope to have the rest of my team with me as well as our first guest in this case. But again, I want you to think about that question as we basically go through the rest of the show. So here we are. I want you to listen to the reaction. Of course, the other top story from that game was the issue between Marcus Smart injuring Steph Curry. You got some people saying that it was a dirty play, others saying it wasn't in this case. So you will hear what the players had to say from that game, in this case specifically Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, as well as Steve Kerr himself who decided to scorn, I guess you can say Marcus Smart, after the, um, during the game. And, of course, had some words to say afterwards. Let's send it out and hear from Jalen Brown right now. Question for Jalen. Jalen, defense was on point. From the jump, what was the key to setting the tone? Um, do what we do. Um, guard, make things tough, you know, um, take away what we want to take away and, and live with the – you know, the long shots, long rebounds, and get out and run. And um, we executed that for the most part. I think one quarter they might have got loose on us a little bit, but um, for, the, for the most part we kept everything under control. How important was it to do that, to start off this West Coast trip like that? Um, super important. We wanted to bounce back. We felt like we dropped one in Dallas, um, didn't play as well, um, and we wanted to come out and play better. We played better than we played in Dallas but still nowhere near our best game offensively, but another great defensive performance from us. And Steph didn't get a chance to obviously finish the job, but you guys held him the one made field goal. It's the first time it's happened to him in like 10 years. What did you guys do so well that worked? Um, just made it tough, but, I mean, he got hurt. Um, so I don't think he would have finished the game with one made field goal. That's one of the best um, players in the world. But, you know, we just try to give him all the attention that we, we need and, make everything tough for them. And uh, you guys were good with being up in their bodies on the perimeter but not really letting people slip through. How do you communicate effectively and all that stuff? Physicality, um, communication. Um, all night we were physical from, you know, 1 to 15. We were in guys, you know, trying to ride them out, not letting them get space, not letting them feel comfortable. Um, and, and that's what we want to do. Um, we want to be the aggressor, and I think that's what we did tonight. Things got a little chippy there when everything went down with Marcus and Steph. How did you guys, what did you say amongst each other and how did you guys keep your composure? Um, we just kept playing. Um, we, we, I looked at the play. We all saw the play. We didn't think it was nothing dirty. It was just that's what Smart does, first to the floor. You know what I mean? Um, it's basketball. And it's unfortunate that uh, Steph got hurt and stuff like that. You know, it was unintentional. Um, but, you know, that's what Marcus does. He's the first to the floor every time. 
you know, both both teams know that. So um, I don't know what the contra- controversy was about, of course, but, um, you know, that's what SMART does. You guys able to act, sustain that third quarter and then come back in the fourth. How big were those shots from Peyton and then yourself as well? Super big. Um, you know, Peyton has, has been stepping up lately more and more and more, just getting better and, and stuff like that. Those shots, we needed them, you know, um, and things like that. We stretched the floor. You know, we had to hit shots. We didn't hit enough shots as we liked. I didn't shoot the ball the way I know I can. Um, so, you know, those shots from Peyton was amazing. All right, last questions. We'll go to Gwash. Jalen, now the teams are starting to blitz Tatum the minute he gets to the half court. What's your responsibility in that? Do you have to penetrate more, shoot more, score more? What, did, what can does your reaction need to be? A little bit of everything. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, the defense, they're trying to take me away as well. Um, after they blitz, they don't want me to get, you know, going. So they try to make other guys play. But you know, just keep moving, you know, finding and making the right plays, you know, um, and things like that. You know, just keep trying to play make, get other guys involved, and uh, good, continue to get good team wins. You know, I think that's what it's about. And we still got a lot of room to grow, you know. So that's the dope thing about it. Um, so um, I'm excited, yeah. All right, questions for Marcus? Calmer. <laughs> Definitely calmer. Uh, but, <clears throat> no, you know, um, you know, he's doing what any coach, any player, any person would do, and that's backing up his guys. You know, um, he felt at the time, you know, away. And, you know, we talked it out, but at the end of that conversation, you know, he told me, you know, um, you're one of the guys that, you know, I wish I had on my team type. So, you know, me and Steve have that relationship with, with USA Basketball, so he knows that I'm never trying to hurt anybody. He knows that since I got in this league, I've been sacrificing my body for the better of my team and my teammates. So I get it. I understand, you know, and I hate to see it happen to anybody. You know, especially, uh, you know, playing and doing your job. Um, hate to see any injury. So, you know, I hope uh, Steph's all right. Um, we looked at it, you know, um, at didn't even see him. Just saw the ball, dove on the ball, tried to make a play. And unfortunately, you know, um, that occurred. So, you know, I'm really down right now about it. Um, you know, but that was it. I mean, like I said, I've been doing this since I first came in the league. And not only that, I mean, we got we seen guys like Draymond do that the play before with him and Grant actually. Him and Grant got got into it and Grant got hurt, whiplash, um, hurt his neck. Nobody said anything about that. That was a clean play, a dirty play. You know, uh, like I said, I, I could really care less about that because I know who I am, my teammates and and the players and my colleagues, they know I'm not a dirty player. They know I'm gonna go out there and leave everything I have on the floor for my team and uh, I'm a hustle and that's just what it is unfortunately when you're doing that things happen in basketball in any sport or anything and an injury happens you know um, and that's just what it is I'm sure I'm going to get called dirty um, I mean it's their opinion like I said I know who I am my teammates know and you know my colleagues know I'm not a dirty player 
uh, and I play very hard, and I, and I leave everything I have my life on that court. So it is what it is. You know, it's part of the game. Um, move on. Marcus, uh, conversations with opposing coaches, how often does that happen? Usually it's like, hey, how you doing, or a joke. But when, when, when does it get sometimes contentious? Like, does that happen often? I don't see it happen too often. I mean, I don't mind it. I mean, we're all grown, you know what I mean? And, you know, we all know each other. It's part of it. You know, emotions, we're all human. He has emotions just like I have emotions and vice versa. So, I mean, I think it's okay, you know. I think as long as the respect is there from both parties, it's okay to, 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 to talk, especially when you're competing. It's a, it's a, it's a tough game. It's a, a good game, and everybody's competing. So, you know, emotions are going to flare. That's okay. Like I said, as long as it's respectful, and that's what it was, you know. I'll take that any day of the week. To respond to the Dallas game defensively, especially, and kind of make a statement, what does that say about this team? It just shows the growth that we've been making and continue to make, you know. And, and it's just what it is, you know. Uh, we all had a bad taste in our mouth after that game because we didn't think we played up to par um, of our potential and we let one slip, you know. I said it before, you get credit to Dallas, though. They, they came out with a game plan and they executed it. Um, but it definitely left a bad taste in our mouth. So to come out and, and play the defense that we did and that we've been playing is, is, is something that shows us the, the growth that we have been making. Well, I know you guys like to say, you know, every game is its own entity and everything, but, you know, the Nets win, the Grizzlies win this. What, what have these, the quality of these wins this month um, showed you about the direction you guys are headed in and what could be possible? Shows that we're going up we're in the right direction, and we can compete with any any team out there on any given night. You know, um, we have the talent, we have the guys, we have the potential, we have the desire to, the heart, um, and the work ethic. So that's just how we feel, you know. And I'm sure we're not the only team that feels that way, but you know, um, our confidence is really high, uh, rightfully so, especially the way we started the year and where we're at now. Um, but we understand that you know, um, there's nothing to celebrate about. We still got a lot of work to do, and we're going to continue doing it. And um, the play with play, were you, like, trying to kick the ball away, or are you just, like, flying in? Like, what Actually, happened? Actually, I was just flying in to try to block it. He gave me a nice pump fake, and I tried to stop myself in the air, which didn't work out too well for me. And, uh, you know, he got me up in the air, did a great job, and my leg happened to get caught when he was going up, and, um, and that was it. Um, I wasn't trying to kick anybody. wasn't trying to block a shot with my foot. Um, literally, he made a great play. I was going to block it and tried to stop. He gave me a pump fake, and part of my body kept going. The other part, he didn't. So it happens. We see it all the time. It's part of the game, you know, especially when you're playing against a great player. You, you know, you're trying to, you know, um, make a play on the ball, and then he, he does a good job of, you know, selling his shot and, and getting to the free throw line. Um, you know, and I, even after the play, I checked on him and asked him, you know, even with the, the Steph situation, you know, when we first went down, you know, you know, I'm asking everybody they're okay. Anytime I hit the floor, anytime anybody hits the floor with me, I make sure that everybody's okay because, you know, it's it's it's, it's part of the game and we're doing it. And nobody's out here to hurt anybody. We just out here playing the game of basketball. Marcus got a uh, Zoom question back here from John Corrales, please. Marcus, um, yeah, eight assists in this game, and you know you you've been at the at the point here now during this this resurgence. Is there part of you that's that's kind of like uh, in an I told you so mode as you kind of lead this team from the point guard position? 
No, there's no need to. You know, um, well, I just continue to let my game do it talking for itself. Uh, my game is telling you everybody that I told you so, so I don't need to say anything. Um, it's part of it, you know. It took me eight years to get it. I waited my turn, and, and now I'm just trying to do everything I can to, to take full advantage of that opportunity. Sounds good, Marcus. Thank you very much. Wrap it up right there. And we're live at uh, the Celtics uh, Talk Radio. Uh, we have uh, our uh, guests uh, online for uh, this uh, week. This is uh, Mr. Warren Shaw. Uh, Mr. Warren is, uh, as you know, our longtime associate and friend. You can find his work um, at Twitter. Uh, you can find his work um, uh, at uh, Shaw Sports NBA. At Shaw Sports NBA, his Twitter handle, Warren Shaw. Uh, he's the host of uh, At NBA Baseline podcast and At Dope Interviews. Uh, at NBA Baseline podcast and At um, uh, Dope Interviews. Co-founder of um, uh, 19MGM Group. Uh, at 19M Group, um, and of course, uh, showsports.net, his uh, hub. Um, uh, I mean, uh, the latest uh, stories and the latest interviews of his at uh, his um, uh, site, and he's our good friend, Warren. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for joining us. And how are you uh, doing tonight, my friend? Hey, good evening, and uh, thank you for having me. As always, my brother, it's great to be here, and it's great to be in a different situation than we were the think the last Absolutely. time I was on the show. Right, it's a completely Absolutely. different team from that time. Uh, yes, it's it's just like uh, we are in total parallel dimension uh, comparing the two uh, last uh, shows with you. Uh, in uh, uh, you know, first uh, in first uh, show that you mentioned uh, the Celtics were like 10th um, at uh, the Eastern uh, uh, Conference and um, we were uh, discussing what to do uh, at the trade deadline. Then um, that, that uh, famous move for um, Derek White came at uh, the uh, trade deadline and uh, starting from the January 1st, something has definitely changed. Uh, now, uh, that is my intention to ask you uh, as the intro uh, to this uh, subject. Um, again, the Celtics uh, won two in a row. Uh, Golden State Warriors win uh, that we are going to focus on, 110 and 88. Also, 126 and 97 last night against Sacramento Kings. Uh, uh, the Celtics uh, are 26 and 9 in 2020. Uh, second, uh, 20 and 4 in the last 24 games, 18 and 3 in the last 21 games, 9 and 2 in the last 11 games, 7 and 1 in the last 8 games, um, and uh, we can slice up the sample size in different directions, but um, they are all telling us the same story. Boston has been terrific in 2022nd, also NBA standings, uh, they were 10th. Now they are fourth. Uh, number one, Miami Heat, 47-24. Uh, Boston Celtics four games away from number one. Number two, Milwaukee Bucks, reigning champs, 44-26. Two and a half games away from number one. 
Philadelphia number three, um, 43-26 with James Harden and Joel Embiid, and Boston Celtics number four, 43-28. and 28. I would say, uh, Warren, that uh, those are the four contending teams at the Eastern Conference. Uh, the order is not important right now. Uh, Chicago Bulls number five, Cleveland number six, Toronto number seven, eight. Those are playing teams. Uh, right now, if the season ends, we would play Chicago Bulls 41-29. They have a lot of um, troubles with the injuries. So how did you see uh, the Celtics uh, turn around in the 2022nd uh, that I am talking about? And uh, uh, what happened? Uh, do you have some uh, answer? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody knows what it is. Two things primarily. Um, the team's health has seemed to improve, so there's been a lot more consistency in the overall rotation. Instead of having guys in and out, three of the five starters, four of the five starters, two of the five, yeah, I mean, those things started to clean themselves up just kind of naturally. And as a result of that, their defense has just skyrocketed from where it was in the beginning of the year um, to a much, much better staunch defense that is now has them in the tops in terms of net rating, in terms of defensive rating. Like this team really has just figured it out on that side of the basketball primarily. And the old adage where it comes to say defense wins championships, well, at least in that part, it's definitely defense have turned around the season. Um, and, and I think that's an important, important aspect for where the Celtics team has been and continues to go. Um, and then the other thing too is that their offense has been, a, I think, a lot better in terms of the level of consistency and mm-hmm. trust around, around each other. Um, it's no longer while Tatum and Brown are still elite and Tatum specifically has really risen to kind of make the case like there really is no question, I guess, anymore if it's Tatum or Brown, uh-huh. where I think some Celtic fans were starting to wonder uh-huh. if it's like, oh, what's the difference between the two guys? Um, but they find a way to really play off of each other, but more importantly, found a way to make their teammates better in the process and not just take your turn, my turn. The extra passes are happening. The communication is happening. And that's really why you've seen this turnaround. And, and it's, again, the addition of Derek White is, is cool and all, and getting Daniel Tice is cool and all, but it really was just like an internal philosophy that really just seemed to click within this team and this organization. And then more importantly, again, as I said, too, getting the health of all these guys to kind of be here and be consistent. Um, okay, you explained it uh, very uh, good. Uh, we heard Danny Ainge, ex-president of basketball operations, uh, praising uh, now uh, executives at uh, Utah Jazz, um, praising the Celtics. Uh, they said uh, they have been amazing. It seems like he wants to get some credit for the Celtics' uh, uh, good uh, season. But uh, what uh, I think um, that uh, uh, Brad Stevens is deserving credit also, of course, um, I mean, uh, uh, Danny Ainge, uh, most of uh, these players are his draftees. But at the first place, uh, Coach Ime uh, Yudoka. Um, I mean, for Ime Yudoka, uh, we heard uh, the example of what I'm talking about is um, one thing uh, uh, that uh, the players are trusting him. And uh, quote from Robert Williams III, since Yudoka got here, even through the struggles, he found a way to bring the best out of each player from Robert Williams. I think that's uh, the essence of uh, the Celtics turnaround. What do you say? <clears throat> oh, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> Stevens has been really great behind the scenes. Um, and while 
I would still maybe question how many draft picks we needed to give up for Derek White. Um, I that's agree. one thing, but, <laughs> but um, I mean, it's working out. And then I think, as you alluded to, there are times towards the end, Time Lord or Robert Williams, um, just the, the way he has been rude, rude, sorry, used defensively more recently um, is really yeah. kind of like this elite level help defender. Uh, and he's blowing up other teams' plays and coming from the weak side and really just being a great connector, I think, defensively alongside what Marcus Smart is doing at the point of attack as well, too. So uh, it's really interesting um, because, I like, that part I hadn't heard before about what, what Ainge, like, is, is Ainge, now that he's gone, is he still like, hey, I kind of built this thing here, too? Um, that's an interesting uh-huh. case scenario because uh-huh. Ainge made a lot of mistakes towards the end. Yes. Um, yes. So yes. That, that, yes. that's just that's interesting to me. It's uh, interesting that you mentioned because uh, we here have been uh, um, uh, having battles uh, with the Celtics fans and um, some members of the media because um, even though um, even though uh, Danny Ainge admitted what you said that he made mistakes uh, himself uh, with Brad Stevens uh, uh, admitting that he was doing a bad job at uh, the uh, end of uh, his coaching uh, days. Uh, some Celtics fans still uh, do not uh, admit that, and uh, you know they are in kind of denial. They think that uh, the transition from um, Ainge Stevens to Stevens uh, Yudoka era uh, happened just because one of them decided uh, to uh, play with his uh, grandchildren, and the other decided uh, that uh, he is enjoying more. Uh, to, you know, um, be executive uh, rather than being a coach. I don't think that's the case, but, uh, you know, uh, everybody is entitled to believe whatever uh, they want. Uh, the most important is, like you said, that the Celtics are winning and this is working uh, uh, for now. And about the picks, interesting um, observation. When we were um, breaking down uh, Derek White's uh, deal, I um, said the same. I, I, I don't like um, giving up, um, especially that unprotected 2018, if I'm um, uh, correct, uh, picks. I think that we have um, one 2013 uh, first rounder, if I, uh, 2023rd, pardon, uh, first rounder available, um, you know, uh, but... Uh, 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 we 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 could not trade him because you cannot uh, draft you cannot trade away consecutive picks um, um, in one year like 2022nd first rounder and 2023rd first rounder. Otherwise, I'm sure that um, uh, Brett Stevens would find a way to uh, ship this pick off. Um, and uh, again, if we are contenders, uh, if this thing is working, you know. Uh, I mean, maybe we will not miss those kind of draft picks. Um, everybody's saying, like, uh, we have a lot of draft, ex- uh, draft uh, I mean, trade exceptions, and we could do a lot of things with the draft uh, trade exceptions. Uh, that's, that's true, but uh, uh, you, you need uh, draft picks, especially in our situation, for example, uh, when uh, uh, the next uh, summer... Uh, we uh, could start uh, talks with uh, Jalen Brown uh, for the extension, then the summer after with Jason Tatum, uh, then Marcus Smart and the others, and 
uh, this team is going to get uh, uh, expensive, you know, and draft picks are a very important uh, tool in rebuilding team, also in uh, building um, uh, the team, the, the team's um, uh, cheap bench, uh, you know, and um, every team uh, needs uh, the, the, the draft picks, uh, you know, and unless you are the Lakers and you're not worried uh, about uh, your destiny, you know, uh, you know that the big free agents will sign uh, with your team, uh, then I think that you need the draft picks. Uh, so we will see what happens. Uh, this could sting us in 2018, uh, or maybe it uh, it is not going to matter at all if the Celtics are contenders and champions by then. Uh, what do you say? Yeah, I, I just think it's it's really interesting to kind of go from Ainge, who was uh, basically hoarding picks like a miser, and then Steve yes. was like, I don't care about this. You know what I mean? Let's. Let's go on and flying out from one extreme, you know, <laughs> from one extreme yeah. to another extreme. Yeah, no, no middle ground, you know, with it, with that at all. So I think, you know, as you're watching and and studying the team over the last couple of years here, you're just like, wow, that really is just a interesting philosophical change when it comes to the leadership and the management of of the roster. Um, and I, you wonder as well too if that comes back to bite you, not only from the, just the pick standpoint but from the perception of Stevens as a leader in, in administration, you know, do opposing mm-hmm. general managers feel like, okay, they can get over on him and, you know, continue to get draft equity out of the Boston Celtics for any deal because like, Hey, well, look what you did to get Al Horford. Well, look what you did to get Derek White and, you know, other general managers might be like, okay, well, why would we take less when this, this is, who you've shown yourself to be in the early goings here as well, too. So I will be interested to watch that as the years and the seasons kind of go along or to see what subsequent deals are able to make to continue to fill, fill things around the margins. Because if you feel like you have, and as you alluded to, two legit guys and ownership, you know, growth specs and so forth, they're willing to pay and know what they need to do to keep Tatum, Brown, Smart, et cetera, et cetera, together, then do you have enough to create, like you said, those those players on the edges because they still need three-point shooting. Um, they could still probably use another bench creator, you know, coming off, um, you know, to spell Marcus Smart, a true point guard, if you will, though Smart has really picked things up and, you know, gotten got the offense running and humming in the right direction. There are still little things here and there. You're like, dang, I wish we had one more, one more thing here and there. Um, and we don't necessarily want the draft capital or equity to be able to do that. But as you alluded to, maybe the trade exemptions and you can get creative. Um, and maybe figure this out. So he's got to have a lot of confidence in, in his ability to will and deal and to construct a roster if he's trading away picks that far into the future. Uh, excellent stuff. Uh, I, I wanted to say that um, uh, another thing uh, caught our attention, so as uh, the media attention. Uh, the other night when we defeated the, the Warriors 110-188, uh, tension boiled over during the second period of uh, Warriors' game. Um, Warriors lost, uh, uh, lost from the Boston Celtics and Chase Center Wednesday, uh, but Marcus Martin, the uh, second quarter, uh, dove for the loose ball and rolled into Stephen uh, Curry's leg, knocking the star guard uh, out with left foot uh, soreness. That play, uh, coupled with smart, smart um, 
uh, answering flagrant, flagrant foul uh, on Clay Thompson, led coach uh, of uh, Golden State Warriors, Steve Kerr, uh, yelling at uh, the Celtics uh, point guard. Um, so Kerr, a smart, uh, spoke after the game and cleared the air out, but Kerr was adamant about the stance uh, on the play that took uh, Curry out of the game. I thought it was dangerous play, uh, Kerr said after the game. I thought Marcus Smart dove into Stephen Curry's knee, and uh, uh, that's what I was upset about. A lot of respect for Marcus Smart. Uh, he's the hell of player, gamer, competitor. I, co- I coached him in the World Cup for a couple of games. We talk um, after the game, and it's okay, but I thought it was really, really dangerous play. Smart defended the play, saying that uh, he didn't see Curry and just dove to the loose basketball. The Celtics guard said he was down about injury uh, that Curry uh, get, uh, got and uh, gave a little more insight uh, in his conversation with um, Steve. Um, you know, um, I uh, also, Draymond Green said, I expect uh, Marcus Smart to make that play. Uh, he plays hard. I can't call it dirty play. Uh, if uh, it was a dirty play, I would have went and dove into his head. I had a pretty great look at the play. I was right at the top. Maybe unnecessary play, but uh, that's the most I can call it unnecessary. I can call it a d- dirty play. Uh, the ball uh, is on the floor at the level of, of this level of basketball. We are taught to dive on the floor and to go after the loose ball, and uh, that's what he did. Curry underwent MRI after the loss. Results uh, uh, results we we will see. Uh, Green said uh, he didn't think uh, Curry would play Sunday when Warriors host um, San Antonio Spurs. It sucked, but um, uh, we will, um, uh, you know, be without uh, him a couple of um, games. How how did you see that play? Uh, would you de- describe that play uh, dirty or just like uh, Draymond Green said, uh, it was unnecessary contact, but uh, it's not dirty play at all? Yeah, I think I tried to look at it from a like a true perspective and take Celtics green lenses out of my eyes and like I if I was a Golden State Warrior fan or just just in general not caring one way or the other what I would I truly truly be upset and you know I've come to the conclusion and it may still come off as biased that I don't feel like the play was dirty and I don't really think it was dangerous per se understanding you know hey how the Celtics were playing defensively how Marcus Smart plays you know he's gonna dive dive for the basketball Curry was going after the basketball you know, not necessarily cavalierly, but he didn't have the same level of an intensity. And the end result is what is what's being focused on here. It's because Curry got hurt. If Curry walks up, gets up and walks away from that, and there's not this much level of controversy or vitriol, you know, towards Marcus Moore or just even having the hey, was it dirty, dangerous, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, at least in my opinion, and that could be wrong, and but we we don't know that. Or if it's you know Jonathan Kaminga or Jordan Poole and not Steph Curry who is the one who gets injured as a result of that play. I think a lot of it has to do with the, the pedigree and level that Steph Curry is perceived at compared to where Marcus Smart at in terms of the, you know, NBA affinity, so to speak. Um, and then even just, again, kind of, like I said, the end result, what happened here specifically. So, you know, I don't, 
you know, it's hard for me. I, I don't see it as dirty. I, I wasn't a great basketball player. I wasn't Marcus Smart leaving level on defense, so to speak, but I was a hustler. And that's a player that, hey, I feel like, hey, I, you know, it's a loose ball. It's a possession. It's still early in the game. The game can kind of go either way, and every, every possession matters. You're going to do the best thing you, you can to try to get a win for your team. So while the end result really, really is terrible, and I understand it because Golden State faithful are going to feel like it can alter their trajectory potentially if, if Curry is not available or now is hobbled going into the playoffs, well, they had they championship aspirations. Um, so that's why it's, it's, it's being received and, and having this level of conversation. But um, I just couldn't get there to think it, think of it as a dirty play or even unnecessary for smart. Um, I have two questions about uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, the players and extensions and the new players uh, acquiring. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, it was a question to Brand Rob from MathLife.com. Uh, the question was, do you think that Brad Stevens will start to talk uh, contract extension with Jalen Brown if he is eligible this summer, and what would it look like? Um, Brian Rob said, absolutely. I said that the Celtics will, uh, look, will be looking to sign Jalen Brown to contract extension this summer when he is the first eligible uh, four. The problem for Boston will be the fact that they are limited in uh, what they can offer to Brown based on his contract, uh, current contract, uh, uh, the same issue they can they run um, into ran into with Kyrie Irving when those two sides saw stock extension 2018 because the Celtics can offer 120% of Brown's 2022-23 salary, which is about 34.2 million dollars uh, at a starting salary for extension and offer 8% of annual rise for each year of the deal. That sizable pay jumps into still expected to be plenty short of what maximum deal is for the player of seventh, uh, ninth uh, uh, years of a deal of experience in the summer 2023. Uh, cap estimate, um, estimates are a bit murky uh, that uh, far into the future, but uh, safe guess is that um, the max starting uh, salary for <clears throat> that summer for the player of Brown experience would be 40 million, and the Celtics could offer 34.2 million. Whether or not Brown prefers uh, financial security and extension in other city or potential, um, you know, uh, uh, or he prefers Boston, uh, it remains to be seen, but uh, it would be entire, uh, entirely understandable if uh, he elects uh, the later. In uh, that case, the Celtics would have to wait until free agency with him uh, in hopes he would resign with them when the team can offer the most money without ex extension restrictions. In another word, uh, he could uh, accept uh, extension now or he can wait uh, one more year uh, when uh, the Celtics uh, can uh, offer him uh, the most of the money. Uh, what are you seeing happening, and do you see Brown uh, staying in Boston eventually? I mean, yeah, I think at this point it's all speculative. You know, it's it's. Yes, I, I, okay. I'm not I'm not close to Jalen in that way. I don't know his people and things of that nature. What he's thinking. Um, if you go by reports, just you know, he, he, just uh, your opinion. I mean, you're not a prophet, and I don't know. I I, I know that uh, you you. 
uh, are not speaking with Stevens uh, about that. Uh, and even if you ask Stevens, Stevens will not answer you anything about it. Uh, but uh, just your thoughts, uh, do you think? So uh, Van Rob said that the Celtics will start conversation. We heard that uh, if uh, Brown accepts, uh, sell, I mean, contract extension this summer, he can get uh, 34.2 million uh, annual salary uh, with uh, uh, starting salary with 8% uh, um, annual rise every season. Uh, yeah. For the player his caliber, uh, the starting salary is 40 million. If he waits uh, another year, uh, he could get uh, from the Celtics the most of the money without restrictions. So, uh, what do you think will happen? And the third option is Brown to leave the Celtics, of course. Yeah, I, I don't. At this time, you know, I don't know that he. I bet against him potentially leaving. But doing what other players do and, you know, trying to maximize the amount of earning capacity and that he can have. So bar thing unforeseen, like, you know, an injury that takes him out for a while where he feel like, okay, he needs to be pressured into signing early. Um, the best course of action for him financially is to just, hey, wait it out, let his contract expire so that he can get the most amount of money. Not even just because, you know, of, 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 of a way of being, well, that's what all players do. But I think Brown sees himself as a guy who is a number one a number one offensive option, or at least has that capability. So why would he or feel like he should have to take less? Um, and if they can continue to be on the trajectory, and a lot of it is going to depend on how much, how well they do this year and next year, and so forth and so forth. So um, I'd, I'd expect him to play this play his contract out and hopefully re-sign with Boston at, at a max deal, just because that's what would be in his best interest and how he sees himself as a player. He doesn't necessarily see himself as a one B, even if that's how he's playing right now. So Tatum can continue to shine and get all, all the accolades and all the, you know, uh, the billboards and all the things that happen, you know, around town and so forth. But Brown is a very, very capable individual. We also know he's highly intelligent, has a lot of great um, opportunities for himself off the court and other ways to earn money. Um, he's still in holding office in the Players Association as well. So he's not short for ways to earn money and for things to do, um, but he still needs to see himself and, and should hold himself um in a certain high high caliber value as one of the emerging elite players in the NBA. And I think we'll see that play out in the contract situation. Um, okay. Um, and final question from my side. Um, question also to Bran, uh, Rob. Uh, seems like Otto Porter Jr., uh, 20 years, uh, uh, years uh, old, 3-4, uh, who can shoot and defend is uh, he played for the Warriors, uh, is uh, ideal target uh, for the offseason, especially given uh, his current uh, uh, makes nothing and seems like uh, someone who could uh, be uh, head uh, at uh, tax, tax, layer, tax uh, payer uh, mid-level thoughts. Uh, and uh, Brian Rob said, uh, Porter Jr. surprised NBA circles um, a lot during free agency last offseason when he turned down bigger contract to take veteran minimum and, and went to uh, Warriors. Uh, he's been valuable bench player for them as a shooter defender to uh, the bench and uh, he would fill uh, the role wherever he decided uh, to uh, uh, land, including Boston. The question is whether Porter Jr. would prefer to stay in Golden State on cheap deal during the, their title window or if another contender like Boston would swap in and um, offer him 
more money. The Warriors could give him mid-level money uh, this summer to uh, stay if uh, they truly value him. But the fact that uh, he's made 125, $1,2500 $1, million already in his career allowed him to settle for a good fit uh, this uh, year. Uh, if uh, uh, he's looking for bigger, bigger uh, pay down, uh, Boston uh, would be out of the mix whether uh, with their cap situation. However, if Warriors aren't willing to offer the mid-level exception for him, he will certainly be a top target uh, for Boston to provide uh, much needed depth on the wing and reliable two-point shooting uh, at the wing behind Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, <clears throat> um, now, uh, I mean, uh, uh, two questions. Do you think that uh, Otto Porter Jr. Uh, will be offered mid-level exception by Golden State Warriors and uh, he would prefer to stay in Golden State? And number two, if uh, Boston somehow signs him, uh, do you think that uh, he would be good fit with uh, the Celtics? Well, I'll start with the second part first. I mean, I like the fit, you know, especially where Boston is right now as an organization, um, leading more potential shooting on the perimeter. He's still a guy who's switchable and can defend multiple positions too. So a lot of great things that that he brings to kind of what the Celtics scheme is overall. Um, Now, again, the rest of it is, like I said, it's all speculation again. Don't know where Golden State finishes, what his role is, because I think he's been injured and and been trying to come back himself now as well. but, yeah, if, if he went here to, to, to ring chase, to Golden State, so to speak, this year, and they don't get it done, he may not feel as inclined to just kind of re-up with them in any, in any capacity. Um, and he may, his agent would probably advise him to go out here and say, hey, you took the one-year thing, the one-year proof of deal, maybe it didn't work out. All right, well, now let's see what's the most bang, bang for the buck that we can get out here. So I like the fit, per se. But, um, you know, I have no way of knowing what he wants to do, what, what will ultimately happen. I think we've got to wait to see what ends up happening at the end of the season. But I think the fit would be great um, as a guy who's coming off the bench and can, you know, if people are in and out of line, I could definitely give you some starter minutes here and there as well too for all the reasons I, outli- I outlined earlier, especially like that corner three-point shooting. You know, that's a great thing to have, especially with his size as well. Uh, do, do you think that Golden State will offer him mid-level exception? Yeah, I mean <laughs> – it, I think it depends how Clay looks. You know, how does Clay look the rest of this year? And they're going to have to define the roles for some of their other guys, Wiggins, Poole, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's a great piece to have off the bench. So, you know, I don't see why not if they can, if they feel like they can afford it. You know, when he was playing, he did give them some pretty good minutes. You know, but, but they have Bayelitsa as well, too. They got to figure out what they're going to do with him this offseason. So, you know, I think for a, a team like Golden State, it really just depends – how the season plays out. There could be roles where both of those guys really are going to be featured and highlighted, and they feel like, hey, we need to keep these guys here long-term, or it could go the other way, and they just don't really need to keep either one or both of them, and then they'll move, they'll move on. So um, my first guess would be probably, you know what I mean, because I think seeing how he started the season, but it's not it's how he played in the beginning of the year and where Golden State is now is not the same thing similar to Boston. Like, they're, you know, it's not the exact same situation anymore. So I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to say if I knew for sure what, what Porter and Golden State would be doing um, to continue their union past the season. Uh, Warren, uh, from my uh, side, I must say that uh, uh, 
it was it it was a very interesting conversation. I will pass the word to Danny for a couple of questions with you. Um, and I could have conversation the whole night with you about basketball because uh, you're very uh, informative, knowledgeable guy, and um, you are one of the perfect guests from me. Um, I mean, because your answers are direct, concise, and really short, and you 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 know um, uh, sometimes there are the guests where I ask the question and I'm and I go to make the coffee while they are answering <laughs> the question. And <laughs> with you, that's not the case. And I really appreciate uh, your coming here. We will definitely call you uh, in the playoffs to see where the Celtics are going. And I really just want to wish you, before passing words to Danny, all the best in your future work. And whatever you do uh, here, we will support you and we will promote your work, okay? So take nah. care, Danny. Take over. Yeah. Thanks a lot, uh, Igor. So, uh, okay. So, uh, Ward, I would like your thoughts. Uh, that that game that we had basically against the Warriors, one of the un, unsung heroes in this situation was uh, Peyton Pritchard. Obviously, um, we saw the Celtics go up by over 20 points. They seem to be dominating against the uh, Main stars for the Warriors, obviously, but the moment we ended up seeing Steve Kerr take out the main stars, like Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, obviously we all know what happened with uh, Steph Curry and him going out in the first half, we noticed the Celtics took their foot off the gas pedal. That was one thing I was kind of mentioning to the members in the group. That's the one thing you didn't want to do in this situation was take your foot off the gas pedal, but they did, and next thing you know, the lead went from a 24, 25-point lead down to like eight points in this case against the players who basically just want a chance to play for the Golden State Warriors, you know, the end of the bench. And Peyton Pritchard seemed to write the shit for the Celtics. He hit, I think it was two big threes in that third quarter in this case. And ultimately the Celtics in the fourth quarter managed to basically get the lead right back up. And ultimately everything was all fine and, and dandy back in the Celtics nation in this case. Ultimately, you still have some Celtics fans who seem to feel, you know, all that matters is they won, you know, so who cares how, how, it, how it was done in this situation? You know, while others seem to say, well, you still took your foot off the gas pedal against a bunch of you know, end of the end of the bench players in this situation. You know, if you would have blown that lead to Steph Curry, Dream on Green, and Clay Thompson, then you can understand because those are you know three of the best players in the NBA in this situation. You can understand a big three like that. But blowing the lead to a bunch of nobodies in a way might make you a little bit worried in this in this case, especially if you have to think about what you could be facing come playoff time. But what do you think about what we've seen from Peyton Pritchard as of late? seeing that he has been getting a little bit more aggressive when it comes to basically finding his shots, a little bit more confident. And, you know, even Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum after that game were both crediting, crediting him in this case for the fact that it looks like he's becoming a little bit more trustworthy in making sure that he's going to make his shots if you can find them wide open. Yeah, I think Pritchard has done, you know, a lot of great things this year, um, including – waiting and biding his time. You know, I think Yudoka, while he was playing and toying with the rotations and people were in and out of the lineup due to various injuries, COVID, et cetera, et cetera, Pritchard's minutes kind of fluctuated. 
and he had to kind of stay ready. Um, I know he couldn't have been excited after, you know, the great showing in Summer League, and I know it's Summer League, but feeling like, okay, he was going to come in here and really have a chance to shine. The team goes out and signs Dennis Schroeder, and it kind of Peyton Pritchard as maybe the third-string type guy, if you will. Um, I just like the fact that he's, he's persevered. Um, he's never seemed really lack for confidence in terms of the shots he takes. Um, and he definitely, and he, I think he has a, he's a, he's a, he's a pretty good marksman from the three point range specifically. Obviously he still needs to work on his play creation and things of that nature, but that's just not his game right now. Um, so I like where, where Pritchard, what Pritchard has done this year specifically. And the fact that, you know, Yudoka has found a role for him um, in this kind of new normal for Boston, you know, since the turn of the new year as well too. So, Kudos to him for, for sticking with it and, and really being a, a spark plug off the bench because, like I said before, I still think they could probably utilize more consistency and pure shooting off the bench. And I still see Pritchard as maybe more of a scorer than a pure shooter, but I think he's willing to play whatever role is necessary for, for Boston, and he has some leadership qualities that, should, that are definitely commendable, especially for a guy who is coming off the Boston Celtics bench. Yeah, and then, of course, uh... Unfortunately, one player who seems to be turning the opposite direction in this case for the Celtics is unfortunately Derek White, who, you know, the moment you traded for him, he was basically on fire when he came to Boston. But the last few games, he seems to be on a cold streak in this case. Obviously, uh, that game against the Warriors, he didn't have a single point in 22 minutes, went 0 for 8, 0 for 5 from downtown. You know, I think he had about maybe six points, something like that, in the game last night against the Sacramento Kings. So, obviously, Pritchard is going in one direction. Derek White basically is going the opposite. When many fans kind of thought that Derek White was going to be the one who was going to be kind of like that sixth man off the bench in this case, being the main one that you were really going to depend on, you know, possibly between him and Grant Williams, you would say basically those would be your top two players. So what do you think is basically the issue right now with Derek White that it seems like he's kind of now in a bit of a fritz here? And, you know, what do you think he's got to do to kind of basically right the ship? Yeah, I mean, just stay confident, you know, and, and take shots that that he actually can make. I think there's been a couple of times I wasn't – he's never, like I say, out of control. Um, but there's been a couple of shots. I'm like, oh, I didn't say like that. You know what I mean? So him doing anything kind of off the move, I don't really <laughs> really like to see um, all that often, unless he's trying to get exactly to, if he's trying to get to the basket, if you will. Um, but he's one of those guys who, you know, it, it's interesting because he's he's touted as someone who's supposed to be a shooter, and that's just because he takes shots. He takes three point shots, you know, in kind of abundance. But we knew coming into that, even in San Antonio, his percentages was was below 35 percent. So he's not necessarily a shooter, you know, especially from the three-point range. But what he is is a guy who has a high basketball IQ, can defend, and, uh, you know, multiple positions as well too, and is an interconnective guy, especially if he comes offensively, can move the ball quickly and make smart decisions, even if he's not the one getting the actual assists. He gets those hockey assists and things of that nature. So I think continuing to play within himself, the shot will eventually fall. He can allow guys to kind of set himself up. And, you know, it again, it's just kind of one of those ebbs and flows. So I'm not as – worried about it because anything I think we get from him offensively is gravy, really, because I, I don't see him as this elite offensive player or a guy who's really, like you said, going to be a six-man scorer because I think that's where we're at in NBA war right now when we think six-man. It's like, okay, well, who's my best scorer off the bench? And it doesn't necessarily have to be that. Is he Can he be our best player off the bench, a guy who rebounds, who gets assists, secondary assists, 
helps the defense, communicates, et cetera, et cetera, and that's still valuable. So those intangibles are the things that I think we're looking for Derek White to continue to create and bring to the roster, and hopefully his three-point shot will begin to fall later down the line as well. Okay, and then, of course, uh, the Eastern Conference playoff race is probably the best race we've seen in years, in my honest opinion. You know, obviously, you only have six and a half games separating the top six teams in the Eastern Conference. And I think any Celtics fan who, I would say, midway through the season thought the Celtics were actually going to be right there with a chance to be the number one seed at the end of the season. I think any Celtics fan that would have told you that was basically, you would have been able to call them a liar back then in this situation. Because I don't think anybody was actually thinking we were actually going to have a chance for the number one seed back then at the middle of the season or a quarter through the season, you know, and in this case with the way the team was going, the way we were basically, you know, losing to all these worst teams, you know, but beating the good teams. And then, so it's really been a completely big change with the way this team has gone the last two months. Obviously, you're only just one game behind Philadelphia, one and a half games behind the Milwaukee Bucks, and the way it's looking, you're probably just going to be one game behind them in the next uh, basically 20 minutes or so as they're now 108-85. They're down in the situation by 20 points now to the Minnesota Timberwolves in the fourth quarter, so you're probably going to gain a half game on them for that second spot. And then again, you know, you're four and a half, um, four games behind the Miami Heat in this case. So, what would be your preference based on what we've seen with this Celtic team? Um, obviously, you lost to the Dallas Mavericks. We've kind of seen that this team, even with how hot they've been and the way they've been dominating most of the games they've played as of late, any team that seems to really play them physical, and we saw that in that game against the Dallas Mavericks on the night that you were, you know, that you the day that you were actually going to put Kevin Garnett's jersey up. Any team that gets physical with you, this team seems to struggle. If you were to look at the teams that you're likely going to have to contend with in the Eastern Conference, specifically for round one, which team would you want to avoid the most if you wanted to avoid a first-round exit? There's no <laughs> there's no question about who I'd want to avoid the most, um, and that's Brooklyn. And while they may not be the most physical team, I want no part of that. I want nothing to do with that. So, you know, I think the safe spot, if you will, from, from, for Boston is probably staying in the three to four range um, because, it, it, I mean, Brooklyn could still potentially get the six here. Um, and, but it's, I don't know. To me, the physicality is one thing. The, the sheer just talent level um, and ability to just reign offensively um, with Brooklyn. And, and if, if, if they get Ben Simmons back and just giving them another defender, um, that is a team I want absolutely no part of, of in the first round. Um, but to your point, you know, when it comes to the physicality, it's really interesting because then, like, a number of scenarios could really shake out here. You know, would you want to play Cleveland? And, you know, uh, assuming Jared Allen is able to come back and Evan Mobley and they have those bigs who can kind of get rough with you, um, but they're inexperienced. And you'd feel like most teams, I think, in the Eastern Conference feel like, hey, they'd, line, they'd want to line themselves up with with Cleveland. Um, would you want to play Toronto? You know, we've, we've beaten handled Toronto pretty well this year, but they, they put a pretty big whooping on us at the beginning of the year when we didn't have our proverbial stuff together. So there's no easy matchup one way or the other. Um, and God forbid if it falls into some sort of a four or five thing in Philadelphia down there, or, you know, first round matchup with Milwaukee, like none of those things are ideal scenarios <laughs> to me. None of them are. 
Um, but to me, honestly, the team that I do not want any part of in the first round is Brooklyn because they really feel like they'll have nothing to lose being a lower seed in that. And the, the Kyrie KD factor are just things that worry me tremendously. Okay. And then, of course, the last question before I let uh, Kevin come in to finish the interview with you. So, obviously, we've seen a tremendous growth with uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum this season. You know, I don't think any fan, including us here at Celtics Talk Radio, can deny that in this case. But one thing we still seem to feel see with the difference of opinion between Celtic fans is if you're ready to call this team a championship contender, fans still seem to feel that there's no right to put any sort of expectation. So you can still say they have a chance to win it, but it's wrong to say if they actually get eliminated in round one or let's say if for for whatever reason they lose the next, you know, the rest of the games, the rest of the season, and they miss the playoffs, that it was a bad season at that point because you basically didn't at least make it to somewhere you should have made it at that point. What do you think about the mindset of these fans at this point, Celtics Nation being so divided when it comes to this team? You know, the it's no longer a united fan base at this point, even though I don't think any fan base is ever truly united. But the Celtics fan base has truly been divided ever since the move to basically send guys like Irving, Hayward, and Horford and all that out in this situation to bring Tatum and Brown into the into the fold as the top two guys. And now that this team really seems to be trending in that right direction, and now you can kind of say with the teams that they've beaten, you just beat Golden State, you've beaten Philly, you've beaten Brooklyn, at least with Kyrie and Durant, playing against you. Obviously, we haven't seen them against the Celtics with Ben Simmons alongside those two in this case, but I don't even know if Ben Simmons will be able to play this season with the way things are going in this case. So it may just be Kyrie and Durant in the playoffs, but you've beaten at least every top team once this season with the way this team is. What do you think? Do you think it's logical and and, and um, legit and fair to say that this team should at least make it to the Eastern Conference Finals the way they're going? Or do you think it's unfair to put that type of an expectation on them because maybe Tatum and Brown still are too young? You know what? <laughs> it's a great question, and I don't want to dodge it. But I think I wouldn't be being authentic and realistic if I didn't say it really kind of does depend on how the Eastern Conference shakes up. What is their path? to the first, second round Eastern Conference Finals and maybe the NBA Finals. Like, who do they have to go through and kind of in what succession and what what's happening? It's all circumstantial, I think, at this point. As I said kind of before, you know, I would I would like them in a, in, a, in a matchup against Cleveland. I feel like, okay, they should have enough playoff experience. That team, while very good this year, um, that should be a series that they ultimately win, whatever, however many games it takes. <laughs> like, I think like, they should win that series. I would prefer them, I would take them in a first-round matchup against Toronto and feel like, okay, same thing. Like, Toronto is, is a little bit experienced. I feel like they're maybe not as overall talented. And we still have what I would consider to be the two best players in the series, although Van Fleet, Siakam, and even Scotty Barnes have been playing really great basketball this year. So, but who is who's the who's Celtics' first-round matchup? And that kind of, to me, would determine right, whether the season was a success or, or failure. Because even having having, like you said, they've beaten everybody, so they've proven that they can do it, but the playoffs are different, and, and, we, and we know that. And to me, 
losing to a Brooklyn, losing to the defending champs in Milwaukee, losing to even Philadelphia 76ers with Embiid and Harden, and people could say that they would have the two best players in the series. Like, there's no, there wouldn't be shame in that. I think the shame would be like how you lose if you go, like you get swept or lose in the gentleman's suit, you know, four one. Those types of things do kind of matter ultimately because you want to make sure that the season that you put in the regular season that you put forth isn't wasn't a fraud. You know what I mean? You weren't just a regular season team. So you have to have a certain level of effort in the playoffs as well, too. And how you lose is, is important. But um, I'd be hard for us to say that, all right, losing the first round, losing the second round or in the conference finals or whatever would end up being a disappointment because I think it's going to be matchup dependent in the circumstances that the Celtics face. Losing last year to, to Brooklyn when Jalen Brown got was out, well, was that, was that sad? It, it felt like it was because they had played so badly and so poorly going into the playoffs itself, but then, then Jalen wasn't there. So even the hope of trying to turn it around, you know, was lost kind of immediately. You know what I mean? So those things are, are hard questions to, to answer. But, you know, I just hope that we get a great effort from, from this team, this roster, whoever they play, um, and, and hopefully things will go in our favor. Okay. So at least that's a reasonable answer compared to some of the crazy answers we've seen from uh, some of our, our members in our group in this situation who feel that regardless of who you play, there's uh, no – it's unfair to put any sort of expectations because they're still too young. At least you, Warren, you're reasonable in this situation. I give you credit in that uh, that department in this case. So uh, we'll now bring in uh, our third co-host, Kevin uh, Dixon, in this case, to finish off the interview with you. Kevin? Hey, what's going on, guys? How y'all doing? Can you hear me? How you doing? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. All right. All right, so um, my question um, to you is, did you see did you see did you see this team coming out of nowhere? Um, I mean, <laughs> they just made me so mad at the beginning of the season. I stopped watching them. That's how that's how mad they made me. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm like, and I, and I always, I would always tell Daniel and um, and Eager, I said this team can't turn it on, turn it off. Um, I don't care what nobody say, they can't. They're not that good to turn it on, turn it off. But they turned this thing on, and now, like, it's, it's, it's I've never seen. I've been a Celtic fan since the '70s. And they told they they told us some stats about this team last night on the game that's better than eighty four team I mean eighty six team better than the teams in the sixties better than the the old old nine team and I'm like wow um, so the only thing they're missing off the resume is the title um, but my question to you on is did you see this coming or was you just as surprised as the rest of us was when they made this turn for the good. Yeah, I wish I was Nostradamus, bro. I really wish that I did see it coming because I was like you. I I thought the team was unwatchable and felt like their issues were just not capable of being fixed this season. While I wasn't the extremist and saying you got to split up the Jays or anything like that, too, I was like serious roster construction needs to happen here um, and, and a reevaluation of how the roster is, is utilized probably. And I wasn't on even the fire Yudoka train at all, too. But I just didn't feel like the way it was was enough. I'd say, hey, keep the keep Tatum and Brown, 
figure out the rest, <laughs> right? But I was not <laughs> convinced that this was going to be a team that could have this level of turnaround because now you have analytical projections that, you know, this is a team that could, you know, go to the NBA finals and X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, yo, this team was the 11 seed at 10 seed struggling to get into the playing games. And now we're, you know, as, as Danny was talking about, we're looking at potentially getting as high as the number two, maybe even the number one seed. They have a pretty rough strength of schedule. I think the fourth hardest strength of schedule to re- for their remaining games here. Um, so another test, you know, of their, of their medal will be happening here to, co- to close out the season. But there's no way, no way I saw this team making this level of the turnaround. Not so that you don't want to believe in green and all that, but they just look so god-awful. It was hard to see this coming. So, hey, we're all surprised and we're all very happy, and we'll hopefully it will continue on into the playoffs. Okay. You know, because I remember um, right before Boston, they got Larry Bird. I mean, they would win some games, lose some games, and they would give up big, big leads. Um, and then Larry, Kevin, and Robert came. And I still had that as a kid. I still had that same mindset. I was like, well, these guys are going to blow the game. But they consistently started winning, 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 and they went on to win titles. Um, this, I felt the same way with with the Celtics when they traded for Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if they can if they can make this thing work. So I was, like, really skeptical about about what the end result was going to be with those teams. And they end up winning winning titles, and I'm, I want to jump on that bandwagon right now with this team to say that this team is is, is capable of winning a title, but I don't know yet. I, it's just just the, the area, the games they play and the games they won. Um, you can sit there and say some of the wins were with against soft teams, um, or whatever the case may be. But again, if if we're critical, uh, if we're critical on them when they lose, we need to be critical on when they win in a in a good sense. And I mean, I don't know when they turned around or how they turned it around, but they turned it around and they look really, really good. Um, I just wish it would have came sooner because then we wouldn't be fighting for for the one. I mean, the two, the three, the four, or whatever you know we're looking for in the playoffs. Um, the only issue, the only other issue I see with this team though is that third quarter. The third quarter has been an issue in three games that I've seen, um, and I'm trying to pull up the schedule now. I've seen um, Dallas game, uh, there was an issue in the third quarter. Um, the Brooklyn game, there was an issue in the third quarter. And there was another game I'm trying to think of. Um, it might have been Charlotte, I think. That third quarter gets a little It ain't going to state. Um, the third quarter gets a little iffy with me um, because they seem they go back to being more more isolation, um, not passing the ball, um, and not just playing team basketball like they've been doing. Um, and, I, and I'm like, I don't understand the concept of that and why they go through that. I mean, basketball is basketball is IQ. And like for example, last night, um, Scowler said that you know. That the team, the overall team's basketball IQ is 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 off the charts right now, but that's the only quarter that actually really worries me. Um, and the Dallas game, um, we had a turnover late in the game, I think it was, or they just kept shooting threes. I can't I cannot remember what it was, but it, they they were very inconsistent with what they're doing. So do you do you see that as a problem going forward? 
um, with that third quarter, or do you think they can some kind of way be more consistent in the third quarter and and, and stay competitive? No, it's an issue. Um, it surely is, and you know you want to make sure they clean it up. I think where we are at this year, or sorry, at this point of the season now, is that they no longer allow those things to continue to spiral, and now they ultimately lose the game. Um, so you want to clean that up for sure. Um, but being able to recover and recognize, like, hey, all right, we're not playing the type of basketball that we want to play, or we're playing previous to this. Let's 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 figure it out. And Yudoka will call a timeout and say something to the team, and now they're, they're able to respond. Or in some way where, like, you won't see the same, the same hero ball trying to take, trying to take place to, to stem the tide or to stop the run, where one individual is like, all right, well, i got to be the one to stop this thing now because it's going off the rails. No, they really believe in each other, and they, you know, they, they, they believe in their coach now as well, too, and they figure it out. But that, you just like I said, you don't want to have those problems to begin with, but I think I'm encouraged by the fact that they're able to recognize they're wrong in some ways when, when those things start to happen. And that, that happens with teams. And as you know, as they say, at the NBA, everyone's going to make a run and that always happens. Um, so especially if you're laying the woods to somebody for their first couple quarters, they're very likely to kind of come out re-energized in that first quarter and try to give you all the hell you're looking for because they're trying to get back in the game. They don't want it to get away from them as well, too. So that's the ebbs and flows of NBA basketball, at least in my opinion. Um, but I am hopeful that they're going to be able to turn that aspect of it around or if nothing else, the worst case scenario, that they won't let it continue to um, get them down like they did in the first first part of the season, where th- those things would happen, and then the team would completely spiral and lose the game completely. Okay. Um, moving forward, just looking at the schedule, right? So they got they had Denver. To, they got Denver tomorrow. OKC, Utah, Minnesota. I think that Minnesota's game is going to be very very interesting because. Um, Minnesota really has to, they really playing for they have something to play for this late in the season and it's been a long time. Um, Toronto game, we I think we kind of own them. I'm very interested in watching that Miami game. Um, the last three games, um, six seventh, April sixth, seventh, and tenth, are on the road. Chicago, Milwaukee, Memphis, um, and I think the reason why the commissioner or whoever makes the schedule did this because teams have a reason to play their starters. Um, and I'm a little upset because I'm going to the game on the third to play Washington because that's the only tickets I can find um, to see them play. And I, I'm hoping that everybody – I hope they play everybody during that game. But how concerned are you with those last three games? Um, the game – well, the Miami game, in the last two games of the season, how, how much of, of a concern are you if Boston doesn't win those games or um, just squeaks, squeaks, squeaks by? The Chicago, I'm not really worried about either because I know they got a lot of injuries. But the Milwaukee, Memphis, and the Miami game are three games I'm really looking forward to them, and Minnesota, looking forward to them playing and seeing the level of play. So are, are, how concerned are you? Yeah, um, it, it's interesting because I think a lot of it is going to be dependent on where those some of those teams are as well, you know. And you're at this stage and juncture, it doesn't seem like anything would be locked up, right? And you might really be playing for playoff positioning and seating and home court at that at that time. So Milwaukee just got Brook Lopez back; they're working back into shape, and you know they're obviously they're going to have something to say about the situation, you know, as as we close things out. Um, Chicago, same thing. I don't. I don't know. I feel like I haven't had a, an update on, on Lonzo Ball in forever. I know Caruso just came back as well, 
they might be getting Patrick Williams back. You know, they're they're what they wanted to be. They're starting power forward. So getting a t- facing a team like Chicago towards the end here as they're starting to gain full strength and could potentially be a first round matchup for for Boston. I mean, hey, you know, that's a game not necessarily that you're going to send a message here, but you know, you kind of want to see what what they have going for themselves as well too. So those games are all are all potentially going to be extremely vital. Um, and like I said, determine kind of the trajectory of the playoffs for, 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 for all the teams involved. So it's a really interesting, I think, scheduling decision. Um, I think the Celtics close out the season against Memphis or something like that too, right? So um, don't know yes. where Memphis is at. Maybe Memphis won't have anything to play for. You know, if Golden State continues to kind of wobble, maybe Memphis would be the two seed and they'd rest all their guys and, you know, it, just to kind of depending. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, and a great test, I think, for who the Celtics are. And you just mentioned, you know, I think you mentioned uh, the Timberwolves game that's coming up here you know, a little bit sooner than that. And, yeah, the Timberwolves definitely have a lot to play for. They're laying the wood right now to, 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 to Milwaukee um, without Giannis, though. Um, and I think that's a team that, you know, it, there's going to be nothing easy, nothing easy for the, for the Boston Celtics here. Um, you know, maybe you think the Wizards are, are maybe a little bit of a rollover, maybe the Pacers as well, too. But the Pacers, you know, beat Boston pretty handily, you know, a couple of weeks ago as well, too. So, you know, I think yes. the conference is a, is a gauntlet, and um, the Celtics are going to have to continue to bring their best basketball if they want to secure a great seeding and have a favorable matchup in the first round that they can potentially move on to. And, and you know, um, I think – I don't – I mean, they, they started winning before the, the trade happened, but I think the trade brought in some more, brought in a couple of familiar faces with the Celtics. Um, I like I like them getting Tice back. Um, Al Harper is like he, he's like he found the fountain of youth all over again. I I love this game, and I didn't want to see him leave, but I know that was all about money. Um, and I think he realized that after. Um, it didn't work out in Philly that maybe Boston might have been the place that he should have stayed at. And sometimes it's not always about the money. Because um, I look at it like this. Um, if I got $11 million, what is another million going to do? What, what can I spend another million on that I won't save in the bank for $11 million? So that's just my, that's just my, thought, my thought process. Um, but now, getting, getting back to the situation with Marcus Smart, and as a Southern fan, I get tired. I'm, I'm so tired of people saying it was a dirty play. Um, and, and I said to them, I said, did you ever play basketball before? And they was like, no. I said, from the time I was seven years old, I started playing basketball, organized basketball. They said, when you go for a ball, you dive. You don't bend down because you can get injured because you're taught to dive for the basketball. I said, so we've all known this since since we've been seven, eight years old, that that's how you play the game of basketball. I said, um, Steph Curry was just lazy. He bent down to get the ball, and, and Marcus Smart rolled over his foot by accident to get the ball. They know that's how – they know Marcus Smart's a hustler, you know. And it really upsets me when I hear people say that as a dirty play. And I say to people all the time, I, I'll say to them like this, I was like, well, did you hear the Celtics complain when, when Gordon Hayward got hurt? Um, nobody – kind of said that was a dirty play. I said, because you know why? I said, because it involved Crowder and it involved um, LeBron James. I said, but if that had been anybody else, I guarantee you that conversation would have been brought up, you know. And I said, you know, I said, and and I think the reason why it's such a big deal is because, like you said earlier, Golden State had playoffs, had had, um, championship aspirations. Um, 
I, I would love to see see um, Golden State and Phoenix play in the Western Finals. I think right now, in my personal opinion, those two teams play the way the game's supposed to be played. Boston has just started to play that play that way. I'm enjoying watching them again. Um, but what is your thoughts on um, how the social media is is portraying Marcus Smart, which I don't like because he's not a dirty player. He just he's just a hustler. Um, and you know we heard the interview. But what what is your thoughts going forward? That you know, do you think that if they bring if they still talk about this, do you think he should be answering questions about that? Or should he just say I'm I'm going to move on? That's over and done with. Let's let's focus on what we want to talk about. It's interesting because I, I was on another show earlier this week, and um, the conversation about Smart was raised, and somebody said, well, oh, I don't like how he's handling it. You know, he hasn't issued a formal apology and so forth and so forth, like if he showed some remorse. And I said, well, you know, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I agree with that per se because while you can be remorseful of the end result, some ways, if you're saying, if you're apologizing, it's almost like saying, "Well, you were wrong to make the dive or to to make that hustle play." The end result is, like I said, is what everyone is focusing on. So, Marcus Smart is not out there trying to hurt Stephen Curry. He he respects Steph, you know, I think immensely. Um, but that was kind of the narrative. It was like, "Well, he doesn't seem to be sorry for it." And I was like, "Well, again, if, I think if anything, maybe you just want him to say, hey, 'Hey, I'm sorry, Steph got hurt.' But maybe even by by saying that, it would be admitting to him." in his own mind that he'd say, okay, well, I was wrong to make that play, and I don't think he thinks that, and I don't think he was wrong to make that play. So, and he continued to hear the narrative, um, or, God forbid, Curry, after they re- they reevaluate him in the next two weeks, and he's not able to come back and start the playoffs, I think that's when we're going to hear more about it. Or even even before that, if the Warriors, like, continue to tailspin for whatever reason, um, then there's going to be, like, the steps out, and, damn, that market's smarter in Boston. Like, those are the things we'll see. But if the Warriors are able to, like, right the ship, so to speak, and, you know, finish with an above 500 record here to end the season, Curry comes back, then I think it will hopefully die down. Um, but it is, again, I think a very interesting conversation that's being had around NBA Twitter, specifically when it comes to smart, and his overall level, a level of intensity. But the narrative here is just because it was one of the game's most recognizable figures who got hurt on a hustle play that I guess could be questioned wasn't necessary. But like you said, we know who Mark Smart is. <laughs> He's going to die for that loose ball like nine times or 99 times out of 100. That's the move, not the play he could have made. So I just, again, the end result is what people are focusing on, and that part of it is sad. And I'm just looking at the stands right now. So you got Phoenix at 57. Nobody's catching them. I'm sorry. Nine games and you only got 11, I think 11, 12, 11 games left. Nobody's catching them. Um, Grizzlies are – second with 48 wins, and Golden State is third with 47 wins. And I, I think, though, I, I, I don't I don't think that it's, it, I don't think the, the injury is as bad as they're making it out to be. I think it's just a way for them to say, look, you're going, we're going, we're going to rest you a little bit um, because there are games that we should be able to win without you. Um, I, I think, I, I, I want to believe, I, I, I want to believe that is the case for them. Because um, they came back and said he, there was um, the X-rays was negative. There was nothing, you know. He just had um, the ankles, ankle sore, or, or whatever, uh, whatever they said it was. But I think at, in, at the end of this, and I'm just looking at this schedule right now. 
Um, San Antonio, Orlando, let me see, they got Miami, Atlanta, Phoenix, Memphis, Utah. Out of the out of the rest of the games, they got seven games against teams in the playoffs. And they go on a deep run on the East Coast. So they got Orlando, Miami, Atlanta, Washington, and, and they go to Phoenix. And they end up with the Spurs and New Orleans at the end of the season. They got both uh, Sacramento and Los Angeles before that. Phoenix, they got to play Phoenix again, and they got Utah. So I think they, I think Kerr is like, okay, you know what? We, I don't think we really need you right now. So let's just rest this. And I think that because of that, I think is why um, they're making a big deal of it. Because I don't think they were going, I don't think they, going, they were going to catch Phoenix at all. And I think this could could be a possibility they leapfrog Memphis as well. You know, so that's just my thought on, on Curry. Um, getting back to the Celtics. So um, we, look, we look at the Celtics and we see a different mindset of, of this team. Um, and we all said before um, at the beginning of the season that we think that Danny Ainge had something to do with some of the moves they made on the offseason. I don't think he had anything to do with the moves that Brad Stevenson did for the um for the trade uh round all star break. Um I gotta give Brad I gotta give Brad Stevenson and uh, um a B plus on this. Even though he gave we talked about the draft picks he gave up and I look at draft picks as an unknown asset because you don't know what you're gonna get with that draft pick. Um and what I mean by that, like me and Igor had talked when they did the draft when they did the trade for Kyrie Irving, and they wanted a, they wanted um, Jalen Brown in in the trade also, and of course Danny Ainge told them no, I'll give you a draft pick, okay? So you don't you we already know what the potential of Jalen Brown was. We don't know what the potential of the draft pick was, um, even though the guy they got in the draft, I don't even know if he's still on the team right now, you know. So I think a lot of people get upset about the, about about picks like that. I don't really concern myself with the picks because you never know what you're going to get, but you already know what you have. Um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you foresee that um, for what Brad Stevenson did, and do you think it was a, a good move for, for it to get white? Because if you, he had an article and said, he said that Pop came to him and said, you're going to really do, you're going to do well there. You know, and then he said he realized how much they gave up for him, so he had to come here and had to produce. And I think – Maybe the pressure's on him now when they give up the, the draft picks for him to get him there. But again, um, what's your what's your thoughts on what Brad did? Do you agree with it? Disagree with it at all? Yeah. So ultimately, I think it was it was a heavy price to pay. You know, Derek White is a good basketball player. Um, he's not a great basketball player, and I understand your your point about. You know, well, you don't know what you're going to have. But I think when you're trying to project for a team, and that's just the job, right? You have to build for the now. You have to also continue to plan for the future as well. Um, look at your current roster construction, even what you her- inherited from Danny Ainge, right? And mm-hmm. is Aaron Neesmith going to be on this team four years from now? Is he going to – do you feel like he's going to develop? Or would you rather have a draft pick that could potentially – be his replacement, you know what I mean, if you still need wing help or whatever it is that you may need ultimately. So I think that's, that's the job when you're in the general manager, president of basketball operations. See, it's looking at what we currently have 
and trying to ascertain because you also don't know what trades are going to become available. So you can't bank, bank on that, that there's going to be another role player out there that you can just sign or bring into cap space. So you, again, you just have to play the cards you're dealt to some degree and project. So that's why I feel like the White situation was a draft pick more than I would have liked to give up for a person of his, mm-hmm. of, of his skill set. Um, but I understand, you know, what, what he was trying to do. And like, hey, you have to pay to play. And if that's what the Spurs wanted and, you know, you feel like White was going to be a, a, an A-plus addition to your roster because of all the things we talked about earlier in the show, um, I can understand that. Just me personally, I wouldn't have done that. But at the end of the day, you know, especially because I said it, it cost – I mean, Josh Richardson wasn't playing terrible. So Josh Richardson and two first-rounders for Derek White, it's, I don't know, it, it, it's a little uneven for me. But like I said that's the cost to play, and I understand what White team is what he did. Yeah, because I was a little surprised when that trade went down because I think Igor or Daniel had posted in the, in the chat about the trades that were going on. And then um, when they traded Richardson, I was like, well, he's playing pretty decent, and he, he's what they need. I said, so what are they getting back in return? And so when I got a chance to see him, when he first got to the team, I saw him shooting. I mean, he's he's out there just balling, playing, playing having fun playing the game, um, I said, oh, well, that's, I, I felt like that was a good trade because he could shoot the three well, play great defense. Um, that's why IQ is really high, I thought. And then now he's in a slump. Um, and just what happens that we have Pritchard and we have Grant just really playing good basketball. And I think he shot um, a three yesterday. Um, hopefully it gets him out of the slump that he's in. You know, they always say shooter shoots, and the only way you get out of slump, you got to keep shooting the ball. So I, I hope that he does well with Boston. I, hope, I, I would like Boston to keep him around. Um, oh, okay. I um, hope Boston keeps him around um, long term. I think he'll be a good asset for the team. Um, that's pretty much most of my conversation for you. Um I don't know if they did it at the beginning or not because I wasn't on the show, but if you can let people know how to reach out to you through Twitter or whatever you have going on, I would appreciate it because um, you, you're an excellent guest. Um, I could sit and talk to you all day about the Celtics. That I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But Mr. Wayne, was great, it was great talking to you. So just let everybody know how they can reach out to you or hear you um, in the social media world. I appreciate it, my guy. Really and truly, it's always great to come here and chat with all of you fellas. You guys are amazing Celtics podcast hosts, fans, analysts, the whole nine. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Shaw Sports NBA. Uh, follow our podcast at NBA Baseline on Twitter. My great co-host, Cal Lee, at Game Face Lee. Um, we're talking basketball, covering the entirety of the NBA. We make in our Celtics conversation there a little bit as well, too. Uh, but our show is basically covering the, the span of the league. Also have an individual show called Dope Interviews where I talk to uh, athletes, entertainers, people kind of in the music business, just about their overall um, entrepreneurship and kind of what they're doing in their specific space. So I cover movies and things of that nature as well. So if you ever want to check that out, Dope Interviews. But our basketball stuff, definitely at Shaw Sports NBA and our podcast at NBA Baseline, man. Thanks so much for having me, fellas. It's been a great one. And I, like I said, told you in the beginning, it's really great to be having this type of conversation um, because when I was on a couple months ago, it was really doom and gloom, and I was scared. And I gotta admit, I'm still a little gun shy. Like, I, I, like they've been good now as long as they've been bad. 
So I'm just like, I don't really know. Like, I'm scared to believe, but I'm going to kind of just, <laughs> hey, I'm going to hold on tight and see where the ride takes us. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's a roller coaster ride, and I'm enjoying it so far. Yes, sir. All right, y'all have a great night, man. Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk again soon. All right, take care. All right, Daniel or Igor? All right, so we will now go to block two. After that, we will be back. Uh, Igor will be back with us. We also have our buddy Lou, which uh, will join us to finish off the third hour. So stay with us, fans. Here is our block two audio that Igor put together. Steph Curry suffering from his collision with Marcus Smart last night. The good news for Golden State is Curry is expected to return for the start of the playoffs. Now, while people in Boston loved the hustle by Smart on that play, people in the Bay Area, like Warriors head coach Steve Kerr, were less than thrilled. I thought it was a dangerous play. I thought I thought Marcus uh, dove into Steph's knee, and, I, and that's what I was upset about. Um, a lot of respect for Marcus. He's a hell of a player, gamer. Um, competitor. I coached him in uh, the World Cup a few summers ago. Um, we talked after the game. Um, so, you know, we're, we're good, but I thought it was a dangerous play, and you know, just let him know. I know who I am. My teammates and and the players and my colleagues, they know I'm not a dirty player. They know I'm going to go out there and leave everything I have on the floor for my team, and uh, I'm a hustle. And that's just what it is. Unfortunately, when you're doing that, things happen in basketball and any sport or anything, and injury happens, you know, um, and that's just what it is. It may be unnecessary, but that's the most I can call it, um, unnecessary. But I can't call it a dirty play. The ball's on the floor. <clears throat> At every level of basketball, we're taught to dive on the floor and, uh, and and go after the ball. And that's what Marcus did. So I, I can't call it a dirty play. All right, let's kick off the daily thread right there, talking about the Celtics. We have Eddie House with us. He, of course, is filling in for the next couple of nights over on Celtics pre- and post-game live and, of course, played for the Celtics on that 2008 championship team. Eddie, when you look at that play from Marcus Smart, I think we look at it and go, well, that's just Marcus Smart, right? That's a hustle play. But from an NBA set of eyes, it was it a dirty play? No, not dirty at all. It was exactly what it was. It was a hustle play, and it's easy to – if you're on the other side of the, of the coin, right, and you're looking and you're like, my star player got hurt, I don't think you have the same cry if it was somebody like Damian Lee who turned his ankle and it happened with Marcus Smart or if it was Kevin Looney. I don't think guys would have got the, – the, people would have gotten such an uproar if it was a player like that. But because it was Steph Curry, it was his ankle, and he's had ankle problems, ankle history issues. So I think with that is the reason why everybody is kind of like, oh, my God, it was a dirty play. But if you are a real – hoop head, a basketball, uh, if you understand basketball, the first one to the floor. You, that's why you always have to be the first one to the floor just in case you, you don't want your legs to get taken out, your knees to get taken out. you got to get out there. It was just a great hustle play. At the end of the day, it was a winning play, and that's what they did last night. They went out there and won, and I think that play right there is taken away from exactly what everybody should be talking about is how serious can these Celtics be taken into the playoffs? Are they a real contender? They went out there and they showed that they can, they should be in the conversation for representing the East, Eastern Conference, at least. Um, to get an opportunity to get there, to get a chance to play in the finals. Um, excellent defense last night, and it started with Marcus Smart. I think – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, just to follow up on that, because when I hear dangerous play, I just think of youth soccer, right? Like you're not allowed to <laughs> kick the ball when you're out on the ground. Like, dangerous play. 
You, I, I heard you say last night, too, on the postgame show that that was kind of Steve Kerr maybe walking it back a little bit, you know, where he said, oh, it's a dangerous play. He didn't call it a dirty play. But the Draymond Green wording of it there, calling it unnecessary, what does he mean there by saying it's unnecessary, that you don't need to dive after the ball there in the second quarter? It's, it's just it, it's strange to me coming from Draymond Green, who, who is a guy who sells out on every play. Yeah, he's the same type of player as Marcus Smart, a guy that's going to get after it. He's going to get on the ground. He's going to play hard. He's going to set hard screens. And, a lot of times when you have really, really good defenders, they do any and everything to get an edge. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be dirty to get that edge, but they really do any and everything to get an edge, be it a push, be it a shove, be it a hold, be it a grab, okay? Um, and when Steve Kerr said it was a dangerous play, think about when you got somebody that's 6'8", coming down the lane full speed and going up to dunk on you, you take the charge. You have a chance to flop him down. But if it's a charge, you're like, that's a great play. Right. Great play by the defender taking the charge. You know, so you can't pick and choose when it's a dangerous play and when it's not, when it's not uh, suitable for your team and it doesn't go in your team's way. But uh, Draymond, I just think that at the end of the day, at the end of the game, it was because Curry. It was Curry. If it was anybody else, I don't think we're having this conversation. But because it was Curry, everybody's looking at it a little bit deeper. It was a basketball play, and things happen on the basketball court. First things first, let's go back to last night and this play, the Celtics-Warriors game. Marcus Smart and Steph Curry both going for a ball. Smart dives, collides with Curry. Steph left the game and is out indefinitely with a sprained ligament in his left foot, but his optimism for a mid-April return. Steve Kerr took issue with that play. I thought it was a dangerous play. I thought I thought Marcus uh, dove into Steph's knee, and, I, and that's what I was upset about. Um, a lot of respect for Marcus. He's a hell of a player. My teammates and, and the players and my colleagues, they know I'm not a dirty player. They know I'm going to go out there and leave everything I have on the floor for my team, and uh, I'm a hustle, and that's just what it is. Unfortunately, when you're doing that, things happen in basketball and any sport or anything, and injury happens, you know, um, and that's just what it is. All right, Michael Felger is here as promised. Now, you saw uh, in that game last night, Steve Kerr wagging his finger at Marcus Smart, scolding him. Who's right, Felger? Oh, Marcus Smart was right. In that one specific instance, you know, if you roll the tape and you go down the floor and Marcus Smart kicks out his leg on Clay Thompson, that was a cheap play by Marcus Smart. But in a vacuum, in that one spot with the ball on the deck, and Marcus Smart diving for the ball. Marcus Smart was totally in the right. And the more I thought about it, and the more I watched it during the day, Mike, the more out of line I thought Steve Kerr was during the game. Okay, not after the game. Coaches are supposed to fight for their players and get, you know, lobby for the call after the game. I don't mind that. But during the game, scolding Marcus Smart, it's to the point where I wish someone on the Celtics went over to Steve Kerr and said, shut the F up. Don't talk right. to our players. Like that, that's how out of line I thought Steve Kerr was during the game. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me about this. As you said, after the game, sure, you want to go ahead and try to, uh, okay, no, no pun intended, curry favor uh, with Steph and let him know that you got his back and you're not going to let anything happen to him. That's fine during the game. Forget about that. But you know what? This really speaks to uh, uh, something with the Warriors that I didn't really recognize until last night. Look, there's a, at times, there's a, a diva nature to them. There's a softness to them that I didn't think they had. Like Marcus Smart and, and Draymond Green bring the same kind of things to their team. And if Steve Kerr looks at that, I know he's disappointed that Steph Curry got hurt, but if Steve, Steve Kerr looks at, at that from a coach's perspective, you know what happened, Mike? One guy hit the deck and one guy yeah. kind of reached for it. 
Look, if you play off basketball, hit the floor, get on the floor, well, get to the basketball. If you're Steph Curry, I, you know, Steph Curry's not a dive on the floor. I mean, he's got decent hustle, but no, no. That's not enough. Marcus Smart is supposed to dive after it, and Steph yeah. Curry's not. Like, Steph Curry's an MVP. Like, I, I sort of get that. Well, so that was just sort of a, a fluky, uh, you know, run-of-play kind of thing. I, you know, you see Marcus Smart right there sort of reach out for Steph Curry like, I'm sorry. And then if I'm Marcus Smart right there, you go, F you, Kerr. Shut up, Kerr. You're not my coach. Don't talk to me. Like, uh, yeah. I'd almost like more attitude from the Celtics after the fact hey, on I, that one. I would. And, and here's the other thing. As an aside, what's up with fans in San Francisco? They're just so chill. In Boston, you know, like, they're listening. A fan behind them would be like, chime in. Yeah, yeah. You tell them, Kurt. Everybody just sitting behind them look, looking respectful. It's not a tennis match. Come on, get in there. Say something. <laughs> you know, they're just they're really just uh, too calm. I, you know, give me the East Coast. Any day over the West Coast, Felger. All right. I thought it was a dangerous play. I thought I thought Marcus uh, dove into Steph's knee, and I and that's what I was upset about. Um, a lot of respect for Marcus. He's a hell of a player, gamer, um, competitor. I coached him in uh, the World Cup a few summers ago. Um, we talked after the game. Um, so, you know, we're, we're good, but I thought it was a dangerous play, and you know, just let him know. Maybe unnecessary. But that's the most I can call it um, unnecessary. But I can't call it a dirty play. The ball's on the floor. <clears throat> At every level of basketball, we're taught to dive on the floor and, uh, and and go after the ball. And that's what Marcus did. So I, I can't call it a dirty play. I know who I am. My teammates and, and the players and my colleagues, they know I'm not a dirty player. They know I'm going to go out there and leave everything I have on the floor for my team, and uh, I'm a hustle. And that's just what it is. Unfortunately, when you're doing that, things happen in basketball and any sport or anything, and injury happens, you know, um, and that's just what it is. Uh, you catch that, Michael Felger, you know, uh, Steve Kerr. I just caught that the second time. Hey, I coached him over the summer, so – for those who say who say I shouldn't be talking to him, well, I, you know, he was kind of my player oh, for a summer, so I can kind of tell him what to do. Cedric Maxwell here, 98.5 The Sports, uh, Sports Hub, Celtics Radio Network. Max, tell me about this play. Tell me this disputed play. Steve Kerr, much ado about nothing? Well, what was disputed about? I mean, you, you think about what goes on. Uh, Dennis Rodman, he played with Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman was swan back you know, as a guy's legs trying to get to the basketball. So I don't see anything was wrong with it. Uh, everybody's been taught, as he said, to dive for a loose ball. Kerr decided that he was going to, I mean, Kerr decided he was going to reach for it, and Marcus Smart came up with the basketball. And those are the 50-50 balls that wins, wins games. Even Michael Felger would say this was a great play on Marcus's part. It was just a clean play. Yeah, it was definitely clean. Marcus Smart did nothing wrong on this particular play. But, Max, I want to ask you, Steve Kerr sort of chewing Marcus Smart out during the game or giving him a talking to. In your day, let's, let's play the game. In your day, if Pat Riley started to scold you like this on the sidelines or Don Nelson with the Bucks, or Billy Cunningham with the Sixers, if the opposing coach started to talk to you and scold you for diving after a loose ball cleanly, what would happen? Somebody about to get the taste slapped out of their mouth. That's what we're having. Right. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, a coach is coming up to me, challenging me in that position. Are you crazy? No, that doesn't happen. It shouldn't. And it shouldn't happen in basketball. I mean, if you're a coach like that, 
and you have your star player out, you're obviously going to try to protect him. But now, at the same time, it was a basketball play, and, and that's all it was. I don't think anybody else saw anything other than that. All right, let's, let's talk about basketball on the court and what the Celtics have done. I think 17-3 and three in their last 20 games. And I was saying to Felger earlier, uh, uh, Max, and you just look at the standings here, check it out, uh, with the Celtics, they really have made a move. Uh, now, now fourth place. Uh, they were in left, they were in 11th place, seemed like weeks ago. Now they're, they're in fourth, a game out of third, and two games out of second <laughs> down the stretch. And I said to Felger earlier, uh, Max, I haven't seen a team kind of change its personality during the season. I, I never really thought the Celtics were all were gritty or resilient uh, a couple of months ago. What happened? I think that we did not give Emi Adoka a chance, and I think that most most people and most coaches and most skeptics, that's what they did. Uh, Michael Felger, who has definitely said I'm a green teamer, now would have to put on green on St. Patrick's Day because the green is playing so damn well. And yeah, I, I see you, Holly, but that Michael Felger, he has it in his wallet, so you don't don't worry <laughs> about that. But I, I think that this team is playing really hard. They're playing enough basketball where you understand who they are and what they need to do. And uh, this has been a, grit, a, a, a gutty performance. They found their two stars, and Rob Williams has come in, and I think now he's the third star, and you look at their bench, they've really galvanized, uh, you know, what they've, what they've been able to do. So, all due respect to Max, I think the bench, I think Rob Williams, those have all been sidecars to Tatum and Brown playing well together and Jason Tatum moving the ball offensively. The defensive thing has been there most of the year, as you guys have yes. pointed out, but that thing is real. I, I watched the Bucks at the Warriors last week, and I think through three quarters, the Bucks had allowed 103 points. The Warriors were over 100 through three quarters against the Bucks, and the Bucks are a good defensive team. And the Celtics go in there, and I think midway through the second, or like nine minutes left in the second quarter, the Warriors had 18 points, and they finished with 88. I know Seth Curry was out again in the second half, but, I, you know, I'm sorry. The Celtics defensively are playing on another level than even the good defensive teams in the league, and when they figured it out offensively about a month ago, well, that's why you're getting what you're getting. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to totally agree with you there. And, and let me make sure, that, so you understand this, I did not see this coming, Michael Felker. I think that what they did, they played with a certain tenacity. And if you look at Tatum and Brown, they finally addressed what everybody been talking about. Can these two guys play together? When they said they were going to play together, I think things changed. Marcus Smart called them out on the table, and they started to pass the ball, believe in everybody else. And that really changed the tenor of what this team has been all about. They had that horrible team, horrible game that they played in Minnesota where they lost to nobody. And since then, they've gotten off their ass, and they played great basketball. Okay, so we are back. Uh, Eagle Vintage is with us alongside Kevin. And we have our guest with us. Uh, I guess you could say our friend, uh, Lou, who is with us. Lou? How are you? All right, welcome to the show. So, Eagle, we have uh, about a minute, about an hour or so left to go. So, Igor, you can lead us off on uh, the subjects for the rest of the show. All right, so anyone might be having an issue with this microphone. So, uh, Lou, so I'll let you uh, go ahead and give us your thoughts. What did you think about that victory over the Golden State Warriors? 
<laughs> just when I thought the Warriors were going, you know, roll right, right, right. I don't, you know, it's hard to say, you know, what constitutes a dirty play or not. You know, a lot of players have their own view of what a, of a, a dirty play is caused by. But I did see um, the replay of it, and I don't, I think it was legit call. I don't think I don't think it was a dirty play at all. It did what had to be done. So uh, I really don't see uh, anything wrong with the play. Okay. So, Igor, are you are you with us now, buddy? Okay, I guess not. So, uh, Kevin, what did you what did you think in this situation? Obviously, you uh, asked our uh, special guest in this case, Warren Shaw, but uh, do you think that Marcus Smart, the fact that uh, he's kind of ha- kind of has a reputation for doing a few things a little over the over the line in this case, in some people's opinions, that time to time, you think that kind of works against him in the minds of certain people when it comes to trying to say that's a dirty play? Um, I, I didn't. I didn't see it as a dirty play. I saw it as a hustle play, and those are the, those are the plays that you make to win games. Um, it's, it's as simple as that. I mean. They they can say what they want to say, but they know what they know. And 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 even um, Draymond said the same thing. He said it's not a dirty play because Draymond does the exact same thing. Um, again, like they said, you're taught at a young age to die for the basketball, not to bend down because you have you. There's a possibility that you could get hurt. Steve Kerr, I mean, um, 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 Steph Curry was being lazy about it and try to bend down, and that's what happens when when you don't give up. When you don't give 110 percent on the on on any plan, any when you play any any event, um, when it comes to sports, this is why as coaches we say to our kids, you go out there and give us 100 percent, 110 percent while you're out there because if you don't, then your you your mindset's not there, your mind's not there to focus on the game because you're not giving 110 percent. So your mind could be somewhere else doing something else and not giving 110 percent. And I think that that comes that be, that becomes an issue um, with um, players not giving 110 percent, and this that's the prime example of him not giving 110 percent because if he gave 110 percent, he would have dove because that's what they're taught to do. Basketball players are always taught to dive for the basketball, not to not to bend over and get it. Um, you know, I, I, it's unfortunate that that happened to him because I really wanted to see them in Phoenix. Um, I would love to see them two teams in the finals. I think they're still going to get there. I don't think the injury is bad as anybody wants to portray it to be. I think it gives him an opportunity to rest from, and that's what they really want. Um, are they content with being the third seed? There's a good chance they could because if you really think about it, um, if they were to see if they were to see um, Phoenix Suns, I mean, it's what, it was a four-hour flight. You know, back and forth between each other. So it ain't like it's not like it's a long flight. It's not like they gotta come far east to play a team that's in the west. So it might be a it might be advanced to them in the long run. But I don't I I, I really don't think that's a dirty play. Um, and like I said before, nobody said Gordon Haywood's play was a dirty play. You know what I'm saying? And we had we we could have went back and, and and dissect that with a microscope, and we could have said, yo. That was a dirty play that they did on him, but we never said that. You know what I'm saying? So because it's Kerr, yeah, it becomes an issue. 
But Marcus Smart plays the way he plays. Everybody knows he plays that way. The same thing with Draymond Green. We know how he plays the game. He plays the game very hard, very rough, very um, borderline as far as where, where it goes with him playing. So when you're around players like that, you got to be aware of who, who's on the court, and you got to pay attention. Again, if Steph Curry, if Steph Curry is playing at 100, 110% at that moment, I guarantee you he dies for that ball. He doesn't bend over. Okay, so Igor, hopefully your mic is working now. <clears throat> yes, yes, of course. Uh, I'm here. Um, I mean, I have nothing smart to say on uh, the subject. Uh, I agree with uh, Kevin and Bremon Green. Um, I don't think uh, Smart uh, had intention to injure Stephen Curry. I mean, bottom line, why would Marcus Smart want to do that? Uh, if you think uh, rationally, uh, Stephen Curry is in uh, Western Conference, not Eastern Conference. Our road uh, to the finals uh, is not uh, leading uh, through uh, Stephen Curry and Golden State Warriors. So, absolutely, there is uh, no logic uh, or sense to injure, to injure uh, Stephen Curry, you know. Um, besides, I don't think that Marcus Smart is a dirty player, even though he uh, has moments in which uh, he's not careful enough, and those kind of stuff uh, happens, you know, on the court. Um, I mean, bottom line is that Stephen Curry is okay, Stephen Curry is fine, and hopefully it will not happen uh, again. And hopefully it will not happen in the playoffs because I'm afraid that um, uh, if this kind of stuff happens in the playoffs, it's Marcus Smart uh, intentionally or unintentionally um, he, he injures some big star um, like Yanis uh, Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, uh, whatever. Uh, I'm afraid that he will get uh, hard suspension and Boston Celtics as a team uh, will be on real fire uh, barrage from uh, national medias, you know what I mean? So, again, the win is the win and uh, we move on, you know. Uh, I think that uh, bottom line, it's important uh, that... Uh, uh, Golden State Warriors players, they agree it was not uh, intentional. Okay, so after uh, that, basically, after we look at that, I guess you guys, the question as we are now basically look towards the third hour, what do you think the injury to Steph Curry? I know that uh, Kevin says that he feels they might be using this just to give Curry some time to rest in this case. Do you think this injury may have basically ended the Warriors' chance to actually win a championship this year? No, no. I mean, he will uh, he will return. I mean, uh, um, I don't know what will happen to Warriors. Depends on uh, injuries. Uh, depends on Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix... Uh, is having their injury bug with um, uh, Chris Paul. Depends on uh, Chris Paul. Is he uh, 
going to be okay for that poten potential uh, Eastern Conference Finals with the Warriors or not. Uh, on the other side, uh, tomorrow our opponent uh, is Denver. Denver is one of the contenders at uh, Western Conference. I don't see uh, Memphis uh, to uh, reach uh, Western Conference Finals, even though it's possible. I think it's between uh, Phoenix and um, Golden State Warriors. I see Denver, uh, despite uh, Denver uh, is uh, uh, number six, I see Denver uh, as fourth contender at the, at the Western Conference. Um, and uh, I don't think Utah Jazz is um, uh, top four uh, in power rankings at the Western Conference. Uh, Denver depends on their injury situation. They had injuries with uh, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray. Uh, we will see them tomorrow, uh, at least if I'm correct, Michael Porter Jr., or I don't have information. So it depends on injuries. But, um, you know, uh, Phoenix Suns, number one at Western Conference, uh, well-deserved. And that's the way it should be. Uh, uh, Golden State Warriors can defeat Phoenix Suns uh, in the seven-game series uh, if everybody's uh, okay. And on your question, Danny, uh, do I think that uh, Steve Kerr is using um, uh, this injury to rest uh, uh, Stephen Curry? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, you know that uh, the teams are doing that. Greg Popovich was doing that, and uh, Golden State Warriors also are doing that, and knowing that uh, Stephen Curry is having um, a huge injury history, uh, I think that uh, they will definitely rest Stephen Curry until the regular season. I don't think that they matter if they are number three, but uh, Golden State is a better team than Grizzlies, and I think he, at least at the same level uh, at Phoenix Suns, if not better when, when fully healthy. Okay, what are your thoughts, Lou? Do you think that this could basically have ended the chances for the Warriors at this point? Oh, no, no, not at all. Not by a long shot, especially you got Clay Thompson back in high gear. No way. This is just, he just turning his knees to rest. I don't see any, I don't see any major change in the Warriors' uh, quest for a championship. I think they're, I think they're primed and ready, and it's going to be a deep run in the playoffs, and I do think that the Warriors have a legitimate shot to win. Curry just needs to rest, that's all, nothing more. He's going to be evaluating in two weeks, and he'll be fine. He'll be back before the regular season is even over. There is no way this is going to affect the Warriors' championship chances at all. Case closed. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, Daniel, uh, that um, uh, still uh, I would uh, give um, advantage in the finals uh, to the reigning champs, Milwaukee Bucks, until they are eliminated, to tell the truth. Uh, I would not uh, give advantage to Phoenix Suns nor Golden State Warriors over um, Eastern Conference champions, uh, and I think it will be Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, so that's it about that. Okay. So obviously, uh, we know Kevin's opinion in this situation. But uh, if there's anything else Kevin would like to add on this subject in regards to whether Curry's uh, injury may actually derail their shot? Um, 
I, I don't I don't see no team out there that can really beat them. Um, but I I mean because they got Clay back and the young dude uh, was a loop that replaced Curry against Boston. That guy is a shooter too. Um, does he have the experience that Curry has? No, he doesn't. Um, but he brings something that Curry doesn't do is that he plays great defense, but he can shoot well too. Um, so I don't I don't think that measures their aspirations as far as the, as far as them going to the finals. Um, I still got them and Phoenix going unless they meet earlier. And if the NBA really wants to make this thing right, those two teams should end up playing each other in the final in the Western Conference Finals because they're both playing the the way basketball is supposed to be played. Um, there's not a lot of isolation going on. It's not a lot of one-on-one. It's pass the ball, open to the, you know, pass the ball, dribble. Open guys makes a, takes a shot. They're playing good defense, and that's the way the game's supposed to be played. I love the way Phoenix and Golden State and now Boston's playing basketball. Um, um, even if even if Boston wasn't winning these games, but they're playing unselfish basketball, that's what you know. That's what as a fan you want to see, um, and uh, have fun doing it. Um, and but again, I think Curry's being he's chilling. He's chilling, resting up. And I think when when playoff time comes, you'll see the guy that we all know of, um, the deadly three point shooter, shooting the ball again for um, Golden State. So I mean, it might be a blessing in disguise that he's not playing. You know what I'm saying, but they're not worried about which seeding they are, um, because they're if they're a three seed, they're 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 um, have seven. They're gonna have seven games at home because who they play until the finals. So. Um, I agree with Igor. He, he's he's getting that he's getting that stay at home type of treatment and chill, relax, walk around with a, with a little limp when you see the media come around, so they can have a pretty pity party pity party for you. Um, but it is what it is. Um, Marcus Smart's not a dirty player at all. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, it, it, and I don't think Draymond Green is either. But you know, I haven't seen a dirty player. Maybe great. Grayson Allen might be one of the dirtiest players in NBA right now, but I haven't seen nobody be dirty in a long time. I mean, in in, in the NBA, because it's more of a they they respect each other more now than they ever did. So they don't want to see a person get injured. They don't want to see a person get hurt on purpose. Meanwhile, in, a, in an update for Celtic fans, the Minnesota Timberwolves knocked off the Milwaukee Bucks one thirty eight one nineteen. Again, this was a game, as we mentioned earlier, that the Milwaukee Bucks did not have Giannis Antetokounmpo, as Giannis Antetokounmpo was out with a knee injury, in this case, right knee soreness, uh, according to Mike Budenholzer. And, of course, there's uh, no um, um, no timetable in regards to his return. So, uh, obviously, it's a day-by-day situation uh, um, for him uh in regards, they also said the Bucks are gaining one addition to their lineup for um, for Saturday, which of course was today, as uh, Pat Connington was cleared to play in this game. So the loss for the Milwaukee Bucks, you guys, caused the change in the standings. So now the Philadelphia 76ers are the number two seed at 43 and 26, with the Milwaukee Bucks now the third seed at at 44 and 27. And the Celtics, of course, are, are the fourth seed, 43 and 28, just one game behind both of those teams in this case. 
So obviously the Celtics are one game behind Philly for uh, second, one game behind Milwaukee for third at this point. So obviously uh, things are getting uh, very, very interesting. Obviously this whole yes. issue with Giannis and that knee injury, who knows what that could lead to, knowing that the Milwaukee Bucks at this point, you uh, if you're Mike Budenholzer, you may just have to consider, uh, depending on how severe that injury is, you are in a situation where, uh, again, you're 44 and 27, which means you've currently uh, played 71 games. That means you got 11 games left in this on the schedule in this case. And obviously, when you look at the Milwaukee Bucks schedule as of right now, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks obviously have a few uh, interesting games left in this case. Obviously, they got one against us, which that game could easily determine the tiebreaker as the Milwaukee Bucks are one of those teams that the tiebreaker hasn't been determined yet. You, the Celtics do own the tiebreaker against the Brooklyn, uh, the, the, should I say the uh, Miami Heat. They got the tiebreaker against the Philadelphia 76ers via the conference, uh, should I say the, um, the, the division tiebreaker, if I'm correct in this case. So Milwaukee would be the only team out of the top three right now that are ahead of them that they still don't have that tiebreaker yet. So, obviously, that game on April 7th that takes place 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on TNT, if the Celtics were to win that game, you end up having a 3-1 record, if I'm correct, against them with the tiebreaker in hand, if I'm right. So, the Milwaukee Bucks have the Chicago Bulls upcoming alongside the um, Washington Wizards, the Memphis Grizzlies, the 76 um, that the uh, Memphis Grizzlies is going to be on the road at Philadelphia, at Brooklyn. Then they're home to host the, the Los Angeles Clippers. They host the Dallas Mavericks. Then they're on the road to play the Chicago Bulls. Then they host us. Then they got two games to finish off the season on the road at Detroit, at Cleveland. That's a pretty tough schedule, the last 11 games. So if Giannis is not 100% healthy, you guys, if you're Mike Budenholzer, let me get your thoughts on this. Would you be willing to sacrifice the seeding at the top as of right now, knowing that you'd be willing to possibly um, let Boston pass you? And right now, again, even, even Cleveland and Chicago – are not too far behind them in this situation. Again, we're just one game behind. Mm-hmm. Chicago, the Bulls are only two and a half games behind them. The Cavaliers are three and a half games behind them in this case. Would you be willing to sacrifice the seeding in order for Giannis to be 100% healthy for the, for the um, playoffs? Or do you want the seeding knowing that you may not have a 100% healthy Giannis for the playoffs? I'm I'm taking this. I'm gonna take uh, Yana sitting out for a minute or two because um, just looking at looking at looking at their their games. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they um they they did they have home court last year in the playoffs? Or I think Phoenix had no. They did have home court, right? So they won. Yeah, they had the home court throughout the playoffs. So okay, so that's different. But they went. They was down 0-2 at home and went and then went went on that little run. Um, looking at their schedule right now, I mean, looking at they're 24 and 12 at home, so they're good. They're only five games above 500 on away games. They're nine and three in the division, um, so that's not bad. And the conference are 26 and 18. So 
I think they feel they have they if that's if, if I'm a Milwaukee Bucks, I'm feel like um I'm arrest my guys. I can't go I, I can't go below four, um, because then you you know, you're on the road all the time. The game seven is on the road. So I advise them I can't go past four. Um and looking at looking at you, you just called the schedule off. They got some tough games coming up. Um so I'm I'm resting. You know what I'm saying? I I'm gonna rest him and we won a title. So I think we have uh, a a mature team that could go on or go on the road and win games one and games uh, win game seven on the road if they have to. So he's he's getting rest and wherever I end up at, as long as I'm not at five, I'm good. All right. How about uh, you, Lou? In this case, would you sacrifice the health of uh, Giannis for a top two, top three spot, or do you sacrifice one of those two spots in the situation in order to make sure Giannis is healthy? I think in order to make sure that Giannis is healthy, maybe you uh, you do try to give up um, one of two spots. You want to keep your players as healthy as much as possible, but going into the uh, stretch run, and I think because uh, I don't think resting uh, Giannis is going to you know hurt, going to hurt the Yucks. I mean the Bucks uh, at all. So I think it'll be going to uh, just to sacrifice it and just take it from there. Okay, how about you, Igor? <clears throat> uh, I don't think that the, the Bucks are really concerned about the seedings, and I think that. Uh, they will uh, rest. They, they. I, I think that, that they will rest. Uh, Giannis, if he's not 100% healthy, uh, even though I don't know about uh, how severe his injury is, and um, I'm expecting him uh, to play uh, at the regular uh, season, uh, if unless uh, his injury is uh, too severe, you know. Uh, but uh, if that happens. Uh, like you said, that um, uh, it's 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 the question uh, whether to sit Yanis or to uh, lose potentially number three to Boston, like you said, um, or whether to rest Yanis and Tukompo and to uh, you know uh, lose potentially uh, number three. Um, I think that uh, it will be resting. Uh, it will be resting Yanis um, Antetokounmpo. I don't think Milwaukee is chasing uh, seedings. I think that Boston is chasing better seedings because for Boston, it's important for the home court advantage uh, because they have young team. Milwaukee is the champs and they have uh, experienced veteran team and they do not need home court advantage in the playoffs. Okay, so in regards to the uh, in regards to the situation with Steph, Steph's, Steph's injury, from what the, from what I'm reading here, he's out at least two weeks. So of course that means he will be returning with at least with just at least one week remaining in the um, in the um, regular season. In this case, now looking out to the um, Western Conference, you guys. Uh, obviously, uh, for anybody that's a member of the Weebly Green Celtics Fan Forum group, 
you can look to the post I put up last night that has an up had had an updated magic number uh, magic numbers. Which of course, uh, anybody who follows magic the magic numbers that would let you know basically how close teams are to eliminating each other. So you know basically how close they are to clinching uh, a certain certain seeds basically in uh, both of the conferences. So the Phoenix Suns, you guys, are just three wins away from clinching the number one spot in the Western Conference, despite us still having three weeks left to go in the NBA's regular season. Of course, they can easily clinch it with uh, three losses by the Grizzlies and the Warriors. Yeah, or obviously a combination of any two, you know, so basically two wins by the Suns and one win by the other two teams, um, one loss by the other two teams, or maybe two losses by the Warriors and Grizzlies each and one win by the Suns, any combination like that. But with three weeks left to go in this situation, you got the fact that they're, they're that close already at this point. What do you think about the about the Suns? If let's say they were to actually clinch it this week, you still don't have. If I'm correct, they still don't have Chris Paul back at this point. What do you think will be the best game plan for them? Because obviously, we've, we I think we've seen it too many times before to ignore ignore the idea that if you start resting your players, it can take them out of a groove in this situation, and it can completely screw up what they've been doing all season long. So if you were the coach of the Phoenix Suns and you actually clinched the number one spot right now, do you end up actually resting your best players like Devin Booker and the rest of them, trying to make sure that they don't suffer any injuries in the rest of the games, knowing that you basically, you know, because again, 57 and 14, that means 71 games. So let's say you win your next three, that's eight games remaining. Do you rest your guys for the most part during those eight games, knowing that if you you do that, you can ruin all the mojo, and but you just don't want to injure them? Or do you play them like normal in this situation, knowing that you're taking a major risk of injury and that can ruin the whole thing altogether? So, Kevin, what would you do if you were the coach of the Phoenix Suns in those final eight games? Um... <laughs> Uh, that's, that's a tough one, man. That's a tough one. Um, I would have to say that um, I would play my starters, um, and you know, just try to win games. But if there's some questions about my rotation, I'm looking. I'm looking to fix my rotation going forward uh, for the playoffs. So that would be my my major concern would be um, my rotation. And it's really hard to do that. And I mean, I think football is harder to do that and sit guys. But basketball, I think, is pretty easy because you still got practice. You still have practice, so you still get a chance to play um, with the guys in an in in up-tempo um, kind of game. So I, I would kind of rest some of my players. Um, and, uh, again, a lot of times, you know, Going back to the situation with um, Curry, if you don't play 100% when you're on the court, then you're gonna have issues. So I, I, you know, and I don't see that for I don't see that for I mean, for for happening for the 
Phoenix Suns, but you never know what can happen to be in that situation. Because let's think about this, guys. If if this was the Celtics, um, where we at right now, we have to play everybody because we want a better seed than number four. We want to we want to at least have a three seed. Um, so that if we, I think if we go three seed, we won't we won't see the Brooklyn Nets until prior to the NBA Finals, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so with us, it's different for them. That's a good place to be when you can when you can sit back and relax and play the games you want to play. And the thing about it is, they're gonna Phoenix looks at it like, okay, who do we actually want to play in that 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 spot um, coming up? You know, with the teams that are in the playoff in the, that's in the playing game. Um, if it, if it's the Lakers, you're like you you know you chopping you chopping at the bit. You like I want to play them because we know they're not a hundred percent. They're not healthy. Um, and they're not playing really good basketball right now. So you want to take advantage of that opportunity. So Phoenix is in a, like I said, Phoenix is in a good good place right now. Um, I wish the Celtics was there um, because they got a lot of guys they added to the team that has not played yet. And if if we get a major injury with one of the guys that come off the bench, we might be in a little trouble. So um, if I'm Phoenix, I'm okay at where we're at. <laughs> Okay, so it uh, looks like we lost Lou. So, Igor, what's your thoughts in this situation? Would you suggest that Phoenix rest its best players or actually play them like normal in this case in order to basically make sure they don't lose their mojo in the Western Conference? I mean, I think that Phoenix, Phoenix will definitely uh, will definitely uh, rest uh, uh the player, the best player, uh, because I think that uh, uh, if uh, they are without uh, Chris Paul on um, any uh, extent, uh, further extent in the playoffs, uh, they know that uh, they cannot compete with Golden State Warriors, you know. Uh, So I think that uh, they will rest uh, the player definitely. That's the smartest thing to do, and they are close to uh, clinch, uh, like you said, um, the first place um, Western Conference, uh, despite uh, not having um, Chris Paul on the squad yet, and uh, that's that's pretty good season for them in uh, every way, you know. On the paper, they will be the favorites to win. Uh, the Western Conference, uh, without shadow of a doubt. All right, so we, again, have only three weeks left, which means we're getting close to that time where we're going to be having the, the rewards, the awards being given out to you guys. Obviously, the big one every year is the NBA MVP, and I can say thank God – you know, we ain't hearing the names like LeBron James and all that being put in that in that topic of discussion in this situation. Bad enough you see them being rewarded with the all-star, you know, the all-star captain position each and every year, despite they don't deserve it, you know. But it seems like this year it's down to two guys I, in this situation. I think, I think, Danny, that LeBron will be captain uh, as long as he's alive, you know. Uh, he will not play, but uh, he will be the captain <laughs> somehow. That's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's yeah. the unfortunate thing in this situation. Heck, for all we know, fans in this situation, 
LeBron could be buried in a grave in, a, in Hope Cemetery, and fans will still be writing his name on the ballot in this situation. That's how yep. obsessed some, some, some uh, <laughs> NBA fans are with that brother in this situation. You know, he'll still be getting the most most um, most uh, votes on the ballot in this situation. You know, even when he doesn't deserve yep. it. You know, heck, his, his, his team is thirty and forty, <laughs> and yet still. You know, fans still believe basically that he's worthy of MVP awards and things like that. But it seems oh, like oh, yeah. Let's let's run let's run the awards uh, ex, ex, exploration and the odds, Danny. I think uh, that is interesting, and uh, some of uh, our players could be uh, included. Yeah. So of course. Uh, the top one, as I was saying, Igor, seems like it's down to two people in many people's minds, which is Joel Embiid and Nikolai Jokic in this case. Mm. Obviously, I think wh- where the Denver Nuggets are going are gonna to end up in the standings out in the Western Conference might play a critical mm. role in whether Nikolai really has a shot. And to be honest, I actually think that's kind of unfair, in my opinion. Obviously, when you look at the record between the, the Denver Nuggets and the Philadelphia 76ers, the Denver Nuggets are 42-29, and 29, while the uh-huh. Philadelphia 76ers are 43-26. and 26. So technically, uh-huh. the 76ers only have one win more than the Nuggets at this point and have three, three um, losses less in this situation. So they're really... The 76ers with Joel Embiid are not like, you know, way head and shoulders better than the Denver Nuggets with Nikolai Jokic at this point. Obviously, the main thing for the Nuggets is that they're just a half game ahead of the Minnesota Timberwolves for the seventh, for the sixth spot in the Western Conference, meaning if Minnesota passes the Denver Nuggets, the Denver Nuggets will be in the play-in tournament in the Western Conference, while obviously, as we've said um, earlier, the Philadelphia 76ers, they look like they are going to be a comfortable top-four seed alongside the Miami Heat, the Milwaukee Bucks, and most likely us in the Eastern Conference, unless, you know, somehow, some way, the Chicago Bulls manage to pass us, in this case, or pass Milwaukee or Philly. But when you look at the teams overall, you guys, and you know, obviously, if you, if you you know, if you're looking at the standings, ladies and gentlemen, and you look at the record in this case for all these teams, outside of Phoenix, obviously, with Phoenix having 57 wins and 14 losses, basically, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, which is Miami at 47 and 24, the second seed in the West has a better record than the number one seed in the East. Basically, uh-huh. the, the third seed in the Western Conference has a better record than the two seed in the East. Then uh-huh. you keep going in this situation, and it looks like overall the Western Conference teams all have better records for the most part than the Eastern uh-huh. Conference teams. So obviously, I think you guys would agree with me when I say it's kind of been that trend. It's been going that trend for years that the Western Conference yep. teams have always been better than Eastern Conference. This is kind of the first year where the Eastern Conference has really been, you know, really interesting and really, uh, I guess you could say, entertaining. But 
head and shoulders, the Western Conference has always been loaded with much more talent and has a lot more better teams overall. So I feel it would be unfair to justify saying, oh, because Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid and the 76ers play as a number two seed or a number three seed, he's more, war, more, more worthy of an MVP award than Nikolai Jokic because his team is basically in the play-in tournament, knowing that Jokic plays in the Western Conference, which is a much more loaded conference than what Joel Embiid does with the Eastern Conference. Because let's be honest, who do we have in the Eastern Conference, really, in terms of superstar talent? If I was to ask you name the top ten players in the in the NBA, I would think the majority of them are in the Western Conference compared to the East. In this situation, you got obviously Durant is in the, is in Brooklyn. Yo, Yo, Joel, obviously Giannis. Those are probably you know the the, the first three that probably be, you know are, are the names you can bring up in the Eastern Conference. After that, you got to you know think a few like maybe James Harden maybe will be the fourth. But a lot of the other big names are all in the Western Conference. So obviously, Jokic has a much more tougher task to have a have a shot for the top seeds in the Western Conference than what Joel Embiid does, especially knowing that Joel Embiid now he's got James Harden with him. Earlier this year, obviously he had Ben Simmons in this case with him in this case, even though Ben Simmons didn't play at all. But it seems like Joel Embiid, you guys, I would say he's always going to have a better chance to be with a better record. Plus, he's in, he's in, he's in Philadelphia. That's a big-time city compared to Denver in this case. So more people will be willing to go to a market like Philly compared to Denver. So what do you think, Kevin? Do you think I'm right when I say that, that I don't think it should really be the seeding should be, play, should be a, a factor when it comes to whether – it should be Embiid getting the spot over um, Nikolai Jokic, knowing that that's the situation. I'm, I'm going to say this. I think both of those guys have played without the star players. Um, I think Philadelphia adjusted well without without Ben Simmons. I think um, Denver is just, is just it have adjusted well without um, Murray there. But I think if Murray's on that team, they're, they are a much better team because he's more explosive offensively. Um, he could score with with the Sixers and not having Ben Simmons, they found a way to score and still play good defense. Me personally speaking, I think both of them deserve it. I'll be honest with you. I, I really do. Just looking at how both of them play and they're both big men, I think they both deserve it. I, I can't put one or the other now. Has Embiid did some things that, that we haven't seen in a center in a long, long time? Yeah, because to me he reminds me of Akeem Olajuwon 2.0. Um, because he can shoot the three, okay, but he still struggles at the he still struggles at the at the free throw line sometimes. But overall, his game's really good. He's played great defense. Um, I give him the, I give him the edge on the defense side. Uh, Joker defensively is not there yet. Um, but if I had to vote, and they told me I had to vote for one person, I couldn't vote for two. I would give the edge to Embiid because of the type of defense that he plays. Um, he plays really good defense. With the Joker, he's more offensively skilled than he is defense. But that's who I would actually um, want to give the edge to would be Embiid. 
Um, it's been a while since the big man's won won the M, won the MVP too, so I would be okay with that. And plus, I can even you know Sixers fans would say, well, we got the MVP, we got the most valuable player on the team. I'm like, okay, but you ain't won a title yet. So what does that mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can always go back to him with that. But I want to go back to something you said earlier um, about the All Star game. I I I believe that. They need to change the format for the All-Star game. I think the fans should start – I think the fans should vote for the starters and the players start for the guys to come off the bench. And I feel like if your team is not above 500, you don't get no selection. Because now you got teams that's out there just tanking um, because they want to get that number one – they want to get that number one seed and this gives them motivation to play harder, even though it's an all-star game. But now you're looking at individual stats. This is accolades that you, you're you going to need to get into the Hall of Fame. So I think they need to change. I think I would like to see that being changed so it makes it a little bit, diff, a little bit difficult for um, players that's on teams that's not winning um, to get into all-star, to the all-star break. Also, I um, I think that, we should have a playoffs for the number one seed in the NBA. If your team is not in the playoffs, I think you have to play to get that number one seed. Um, then you get so that the tanking wouldn't matter, even though you had the worst record. The tanking wouldn't matter because now you got to play to get it. So it, only teams that would be in there would be the teams that didn't make the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? And some people say, well, look at the Lakers. If the Lakers were getting to that tournament, they probably would win. Okay, fine. It, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? But we know that LeBron James ain't ain't going to get no – he's not he – he's going to tell him to flip that pick and bring somebody in, a veteran in, to help him win because he don't play with rookies. But I think that makes the NBA more entertaining um, or more – it makes it more – not entertaining, but it makes it more um, – uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It makes it more realistic because now everybody has to play for something. You know, you got to win for something. You know, so tanking just because you're tanking, you got the number one seed. You still got to play. You still got to play to get that seed. You know, that's just that's just my thought on there. I went on another tangent, but y'all y'all got my point. <laughs> Hey, so Igor, what about you? Um, uh, so again, I will give you uh, the odds or, and the players' ranking of um, uh, 2021-22 uh, NBA uh, regular season MVP odds. Number one, uh, Joe Embiid, Philadelphia, plus uh, 120. Nikola Jokic, number two, Denver, uh, plus 260. Giannis Compo number three, Milwaukee, plus 600. Then number four, John Morant, Memphis plus 1,000. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, Chicago plus uh, 1,200. Uh, he is number six. Number seven, Stephen Curry, Golden State, uh, 22,000. Uh, odds, uh, Devin Booker, uh, number eight, Phoenix Suns plus 22,000. And Luka Doncic, number nine, uh, plus uh, uh, 3,000. Uh, the most valuable player of the year award is given to the player who has the most uh, successful regular season. 
which usually include how the player's performance uh, re reflects uh, on the team's success. Nikola Jokic won the MVP uh, award at Denver Nuggets last year, the first for Denver. International player has won uh, the three uh, straight seasons. Um, an international player has won the award the three straight seasons with James Harden, the last American to win it 2017-18 with the Houston Rockets. Again, uh, if we are judging individual players' performance and he's carrying his team on his shoulder because Murray uh, was injured a majority of the seasons, uh, that's Nikola Jokic. Statistically, he's better than Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid maybe has better defense than uh, Nikola, but Nikola has better stats. Simply, if we look at the statistic, uh, that's Jokic. But um, <clears throat> if we look at the team's success, Philadelphia, like Danny said, if I'm correct, took over number two. Denver, number six, could be slided to number seven. If we look how uh, their teams are doing, I think that's why John and Bibi is favorite to uh, win the award on Vegas, at least. Uh, they are very tight, and I think if Nicola uh, had Michael Porter Jr. and uh, Mare, that uh, his team will be top three teams at the Western Conference. That's where they belong, but uh, they are not. So I think indeed it's favorite. Um, can we do the other stats? I mean, the other awards, Danny, until the end of the show, because I think it's interesting subject like six men of the year and the rookie of the year. I have the odds and also defensive player of the year, which most of uh, our guys at the page are discussing and proposing. So it is interesting to uh, us to comment who has the most uh, chance to be a uh, winner of those awards, maybe. And the coach of the year, don't, don't, don't forget. Yep, yep that's fine. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go first with NBA Rookie of the Year odds. Uh, rookie of the Year uh, odds are number one, Evan Mobley, Cleveland, plus six, minus uh, 650, which means that he's a heavy, heavy favorite. Number two, Scotty Barnes, Toronto, plus 500. Number three, Kate Cunningham, Detroit, plus 600. Number four, Josh Giddy, Oklahoma City, plus 1,800. Number six, Franz Wagner, Orlando, plus 3,000. Number seven, Ayo Do Dosunmi, Chicago. Uh, he has uh, plus 10,000 odds. Uh, Chris Duarte, Indiana, plus 12,000 odds. And uh, the last one, number nine, Jalen Green, Houston, plus 20,000. The Rookie of the Year award is given to the first year player who has the most success regular season. Lamelo Ball from Charlotte Hornets won it last year despite late season rush from Anthony Edwards, Minnesota, who was my favorite, by the way, and who was the first pick in 2020. Anthony Edwards is a beast, a guard who won the award in five straight seasons with Carl Anthony Towns being the last center to win each one uh, in 2015-16. Uh, I would say that Evan Mobley win, uh, will win it from Cleveland because Cleveland is um, 
the most pleasant surprise at Eastern Conference, if I'm correct, there are number six or seven. Uh, then it will uh, correct me. I think they are number six. Anyway, uh, uh, I think that uh, Evan Mobley deserves this. He is one of the reasons why their defense is so good and uh, he can uh, improve in uh, defensive uh, way so much. And I really love uh, that guy, Evan Mobley, uh, will be one of the stars. Scotty Barnes is there. Scotty Barnes is a hell of a player. Toronto picked up very well. He defeated us in the first game, um, you know, uh, of the season with Toronto <clears throat> when they made upset. And Scotty Barnes was, was the hero, if I'm correct. Uh, I mean, the boy is good, but uh, because of his team success, Evan Mobley has advantage in my book. Daniel, what about you? Well, I would say, based on uh, the names you mentioned, it probably is going to come down to, like you said, uh, even Mobley in this situation, and Io doesn't and In this case, I'm hoping I pronounced that right, but Mobley probably has the advantage, knowing that uh, obviously the Bulls have a better record than the Cavaliers as uh, as of this moment. As you mentioned, uh, the Cavaliers are sixth, the Bulls are fifth in the Eastern Conference. But it's only mm-hmm. a one game separation, so it's not like it's a major you know gap in this case. Maybe if it was a bigger gap, then maybe you would give the advantage to um to i u in this case, but because it's just a small one game gap, you know it, I don't think the the standings would make much of a difference and then when you look at the um the stats between the two, uh Mobley is averaging fifteen point three points this season. which is 69th in the league in this case, 8.3 rebounds, 29th in the league, and then 2.5 assists, which is 102nd. And, of course, that's out of all players in this situation, if I'm correct. You know, which, Uh obviously, comparing that to, uh, you know, to Ayo in this case, 15.3 points to Ayo, which is 8 points, who has 8.5. So, you know, he's nearly doubling the points basically, in this case. Obviously, 8.3 um, rebounds to only 2.8 rebounds for Isle. So he's got nearly, in this situation, he's got more than three times the rebounds in this case. The only thing that Isle is, is um, doing is he's got more assists per game, 3.2. So easily, in my opinion, as you said, I would easily go with Evan Mobley getting it in this case. Because he's mm-hmm. definitely getting, um, he's got more assists in this situation. I do believe he's, uh, you know, um, uh, he, he's one of the starters in this case. You know, averages about thirty uh, something minutes a game, thirty four point five, thirty six, thirty five point two, over the last uh, ten games in this situation. Um, Ayu in this case uh, is also a starter in this situation for the. Um, for the um, Bulls, but when you're not really able to put up as much in your starting minutes, and yet Evan Mobley is playing like a player who really looks like he's going to, you know, be a major star someday in the league, you got to give it to someone like that. Uh, Kevin, your opinion? Evan Mobley, hands down. Um, I think Kay Cunningham is close, closer than what people think. Uh, watching him play, um, that t- that Detroit team never gives up. Um, uh-huh. They 
no matter how many points those guys are down, they still play hard. And that that's that that's a testament to the to um Kay Cunningham and that's a testament testament to the team, that's a testament to the coach. Because um, I think they feel like they're not too far away from being the Cleveland Cavaliers next year. So, um he's really I think he's really, really close. But Evan is a guy that watching him play, he plays Effort, effort, effortless basketball, um, if I could, if 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 that makes sense. And what I mean by that, he reminds me so so much of George Gerving, um, in his demeanor on the court. Um, I don't even know if the guy sweats, man. I'll be honest with you. I I've never seen him sweat on the court. Um, he, he left hand, right hand is like, it's like he learned how to walk the same time he learned to play basketball because it's like, it's like he does it without even thinking about it. Um, and everything is so smooth. Everything is so in sync with him. Um, the only thing can derail this guy from not being a superstar coming up soon is injuries. Um, I think Cleveland's on the way up. Um, they're the, probably the, one of the most surprising teams right now in the NBA because um, nobody thought they were going to be where they where they where they are now. Um, they were at some point at some point in the league they was the number one seed in 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 the East, um, but they've fallen off because of injuries or whatever the case may be. But I like Kate. I mean, I like um, Evan really, really well. Um, I hope Cleveland messes up and not give him a contract extension so Boston can go after him. Uh, <laughs> I really like this. I really, really like this guy. And and I see, I saw saw him play before he went to the pros. Um, and I thought Cunningham would have been. I thought Cunningham should have been um, the number one pick. But this kid Evan is—he's smooth like butter, man. Smooth like silk. I'm telling you right now. He, Cleveland got a gem in this guy, man. They just got to figure out how to keep him around, how to build a team. They got the—they—they they, also we ain't talked about the coach yet, but I think they got the coach of the year as well. Um, but they're doing amazing things in Cleveland right now, and this is why, in the back of some people's mind, they think that LeBron might end up going back to Cleveland because these guys are young. Um, they want to get out and run. Um, and we know that um, during playoff time is more of a half court game. So, you know, if LeBron were to were to go back to Cleveland, teach them how to play the half court game, I think it would be be beneficial for them at some point in time. But this team is really this team is going to be really exciting and fun to watch in the near future. Um, okay, now the NBA Six Man of the Year award. Uh, odds number one Tyler Hero Miami uh, minus uh, two uh, thousand, which means that he is heavy favorite. Number two Kelly Oubre Charlotte Hornets uh, plus twenty five hundred. Number three Kevin Love Cleveland plus uh, uh, three thousand. Number four Montrezzi uh, Harrell Charlotte plus uh, uh, four thousand. Number five Buddy Hield Indiana plus. 6600 uh, number 7 Jordan Clarkson Utah uh, number 8 Jalen Bronson Dallas uh, number 8 n- number 9 Golden State jo- Jordan Poole and Dennis Schroeder number 10 Houston Celtics plus uh, 10000 uh, the sixth man of the year uh, award is given to the bench player who sees the most productive regular season Jordan Clarkson runaway uh, with the award last year and the opening uh, favorite to see the repeat. Lou Williams uh, has seen handful of uh, six men of the year awards, 
uh, but uh, has long uh, odds to open the season with the Santa Hawks. The West Conference has won the award six straight seasons. I think Hero uh, will win it. Uh, to tell you the truth, I think it's not justified that Jordan Poole is number nine and Golden State Warriors is, uh, you know, um, top three teams at the Western Conference, uh, number three. Right now, they were number two, majority of the season. Nobody from Memphis is there, which is, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, shameful. And also, nobody, uh, from, uh, nobody from Phoenix is there, which is, uh, you know, stunning. I think the guys from, nobody from uh, Milwaukee is there also, neither. So, I mean, the people from uh, the top team should be there. I agree about Tyler Hero. What about you, Daniel? Well, I would expect that he's going to be the one to get it, knowing that uh, obviously uh, he's averaging over 21 points a game this season. Uh, just uh, 23rd, if I'm correct, uh, uh, in the league, 4.8 rebounds and 3.8 assists. You know, yes. so any, any team that gets that from just one player off the bench is going to be a, a team to be reckoned with, as we know. You know how many times do you, uh, have we have how many times have we said for the Celtics they would love just to get 21 points total, you know, off the bench in this case, you mm-hmm. know, and yet the, the Miami Heat are getting that from just one guy on average, you know. So the fact that you see that he's not only doing that, but then the, the Miami Heat are basically the number one seed. I think fans are going to look at that and basically just give it to him in this case knowing that he's played a critical role in their success and the reason why they're the number one seed overall at this point. And pretty much every time they've basically had difficulties winning, it's been a game where either he hasn't been able to play or you see it's a game where he's basically been off for the most part. But every time they seem to dominate, he's had he's had his A game in this case. So I would say – you know, he may be the sixth man because they're choosing not to let him basically be a starter in this situation. But I would say that guy is probably the second or third most important player on that team at this point with the way he basically seems to take over. Uh, Kevin? I agree. Uh, Tyler Hero um, should be the guy. Um, if you think about it, I mean, he's he's came in and started a couple games. And, you know, we all look at Miami, and, and everybody, you know, when I tell people, I'm like, yo, watch out for Miami because these guys are sneaky good. Um, Slick Hair Willie down there doing some, doing some, making some magic um, with that team. They got the wrong name. Should be the should be the Miami Magic, not the Orlando Magic. But <laughs> um, I don't trust Slick Hair Willie anyway. But Tyler Hero is, is playing really good basketball right now for that team. Um, he's a needed piece for that. I know there was issues. I know they were talking about trading him uh, to get whatever they needed to get. Um, I think that would have been a huge mistake for them to do that. And his value on that team is is is, is, is more than what they could think. Um, and you can put him in as a as a starter, um, have him come off the bench. Um, that's what six man six man should be able to do. And because of him, I think that you know, like Daniel said, he's probably one of the t- one or one of the three top players on that team right now that's keeping that team afloat. Um, and he's playing, like I said, he's playing excellent basketball. If, if that, if 
that this wood right here should be a landscape for him, and she didn't be nobody even close to him for the six man award. Um, let's speed up because we have uh, eight minutes till the end. Uh, really quick updates: NBA Defensive Player of the Year award leader is Rudy Gobert. Uh, you have there Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Milwaukee, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Memphis, Bema Debayo, Draymond Green, Michael Bridges, Phoenix. Joel Embiid and Robert Williams, number eight, with the odds plus uh, 2,000. Uh, most improved player of the year, I think John Morant is dark horse from Memphis to win it, and he will win it. Um, you have Michael Bridges, Darius Gar- Garland, Dejounte Murray, Afernis Tim Simmons, uh, Jared Allen, Cleveland, Tyrese, Maxi Philly, and Desmond Bain, Memphis. But the, the favorite, John Morant. Coach of the year, favorite... Uh, Favorite is Monty Williams, uh, Phoenix Suns, um, and you have JB Bickerstaff, uh, Cleveland, Taylor Jenkins, Memphis, Eric Spolstra, Miami, Billy Donovan, uh, Chicago, and Steve Kerr, Golden State. Ime Yudoka is number two, three, four, five, six, seven. Ime Yudoka number seven, plus 5,000, but that's recognition for our coach. That's it about the rewards. Uh, Danny, do you want to comment the remaining awards? That's Defensive Player of the Year, Most Improved Player, and Coach of the Year. Really quick. Well, I would say in this situation, the fact that you got some of our guys up there in this situation, you know, obviously uh, I don't think any of our guys are going to actually win it at this point. No. In this case, you know, mm-hmm. obviously I think, uh, like, for example, like uh, with uh, Time Lord, the fact that you got guys like you know, like uh, like um, Embiid and all that up there, it's probably mm-hmm. going to go against them in this situation. You know that a lot of these awards always go to the big name players in this case, um, but obviously Time Lord, it, the fact that he's even on the list is a is a good sign for him going forward. In this case, that means he's getting recognition at this point for being a really do, you know dominant defensive player. That lets you know that basically he's getting the job done on the defensive side of the ball, and it's just the more he keeps going that route in the situation, the more he keeps playing the way he's playing, it, um, the better it's going to be for us. And for you, um, um, our coach Yudoka, maybe if he would have had the team playing like this from the get-go, the very get-go, he would be a lock in my opinion for coach of the year. But the fact that we ended up waiting all the way to the final two months of the NBA season. I think it's probably going to end up costing him that that bump, um, that reward because there's probably too many other coaches ahead of him who have had their team playing better for a longer period at that at this point, and who many people are going to say they're more deserving than Yudoka because obviously in this situation they had their team ready from the t- very tip of the season, and it took his team basically four or five months basically to get their acting gear. So even though yeah, I would say the only way it ends up happening, you guys, maybe a, a miracle basically for it to happen is if you somehow come out of nowhere and end up taking the number one spot for Miami. That's the only way. Uh, okay. Uh, Kevin, really quick. Uh, uh, final words about the awards. <laughs> uh, I, I agree with um, Daniel um, with everything he said. And same thing with you, Igor. Um, mm-hmm. Bernie Biggerstaff should be the guy uh, for coach of the year. Um, I can't really think of nobody else really that should be there. 
Um, the same thing with Yudoka. If if they would have been more consistent at the beginning of the year, I think he would be he could have possibly be that guy um going forward. Um comeback player John Moran, I agree with that as well. Um all the words that you brought up, I agree with all of them. Basically we all on the same sheet of music. Um so one thing I gotta say is um we play uh Utah or Denver tomorrow. Denver. I would love this Denver, I'm sorry, Denver we play Denver tomorrow. Um, even though we're away, I wanna see some Gino. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, Gino 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 is there. Uh thanks Kevin, thanks Daniel, uh thanks Luis Tenore, our caller, thanks our guest, Warren Shaw. Uh uh I mean at Twitter at Shaw Sports MBA. Uh the next uh, uh Saturday, six PM Eastern, the next uh the other guest, the same host. And stay with us, we bring Green Celtics Transforum. Find us everywhere. Uh, we, I mean, Celtics Talk Radio pages. Uh, and right now, Kevin called Gino, and here you will hear Gino. And hopefully, in, uh, tomorrow against Denver, we will hear also the, the Gino time. <laughs> we have a good night, all.